The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week we're talking with Andrea and Harvey from Unite St. Mungo's about conditions in the nonprofit sector which has led workers to strike. Plus, new evidence of the United States' involvement in Lula's imprisonment is leaked, Namibia is experiencing a spike in homophobia, and the skies over New York look like a hellscape. But first, Sophie has some thoughts on a British soldier laying down on the job. I just think that's like it's the the image like it's a still from a video but like it's the opening shot of the video so everyone will have seen this like this image of the beef eater having fallen over the the king's guard doing their fucking practice and the guys come down and he's just like he's still holding the trombone it's still pressed to his mouth like it's just like he's gone exactly sideways and it's yeah. just so fucking funny like the the image it's an image that just keeps fucking giving like you can see the you can see the like uh medics running out with the stretcher there's the dude in the like fucking crazy looking uh like imperial star wars ass like uh, uh official dress uniform with his white boots but for like for some reason just like a baseball cap uh, and he looks like <laughs> and, he, and he looks like keir starmer and he's just like standing there like looking away from this guy who's fucking passed out and like <laughs> it's like it, it's like I... they 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 would they they uh uh, popularized toys of little fucking redcoats, right? As British uh, imperialist, like cultural propaganda that they're reliable, dependable little clockwork men, right? That they, they're undefeatable, and it's like it even works within the same like propagandistic framework because he True. just looks like a broken toy. He just looks like a clockwork man who's like fallen over and he can't get up. Oh I don't God. know. I don't know how <laughs> how absolutely cooked you would have to be for the monarchy and the state. And all those made-up things to Cuck go derogatory, out. of course. <laughs> we respect <laughs> cucks here. Yeah, yeah. To, 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 you know, you would you would go out in 26-degree humid weather in the middle of London, probably a bit warmer in London, actually, <laughs> in one of those massive oh, yeah. fucking fuzzy It was like hats. high of 31 yesterday or 30 something. 30 fucking so, one. Yeah, it was so much. And, and you are like, okay, I'm going to go outside in this massive fuzzy fucking hat it's literally called like a bearskin or something right and, it's and, like, and oh <laughs> it's how... like you can the worst bit is like you the worst bit is just be is is possessing the capacity for empathy and looking at this fucking picture <laughs> you can you can like you can see so clearly the like awful dehydrated tunnel vision that the guy must be experiencing like you can see like you can picture Aww. so clearly being in this hot uniform and just like uh like like seceding into your own body, just like withdrawing and dissociating from your own body because it's too hot. <laughs> just seeing like like the the exact like like tunnel out from your face, and all you see is a trombone, and you just keep your hands on the trombone, trying to focus on your on your sheet music, and then you're just going sideways, and you're just on the floor. <laughs> like, all I can all I can think like... about is I think you should leave, and the scene where he's like, <laughs> "Too much shit on me. <laughs> too much shit on me. Wanna... Get it off. I don't want to do it anymore." I, I don't literally he couldn't even say anything it's so bad oh 
Well, oh, welcome please. to Red Planet, everyone, and I hope you're having a fantastic Sunday uh, in this horrific hellscape. He looks like year. a Lego. <laughs> he, does, he does look like a Lego. It's true. Uh, but we're going to kick off the stream with the with the the first the, the thing that we normally kick off the stream with, which is what is the most base thing you've done this week? And I'm going to start with Kira. Oh no! Um, oh. I've done a few uh, mildly based things. Um, I guess the the let me let me let me think. Okay, so the most based things I did this week in terms of like you know formally based is uh, still planning this fundraiser. I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we're still planning it, and it's gonna be we're setting a date. It's gonna be on July first. Uh, it's a planning a fundraiser for a, a black trans man living. Uh, the deep south his name his name's Rael and um he re- researches disinformation campaigns he was one of the uh people that like really paved the way to learning uh, about the emerging thing called gamergate and tracking that and got a lot of like heat and flack for it and a lot of harassment for it um but really didn't receive any of the credit um any of like a lot of the funds that that a lot of these researchers ended up getting which good for them right but uh, but some people, especially extremely marginalized people, were kind of, you know, the first to call this out, but then absolutely not at all credited in any way with with that type of labor and that type of targeting. Um, so we're going to be raising money for him on July 1st. So mark your calendars for that um, to get him out of the Deep South, out of a, a completely Republican run state, as you know. Those states are absolutely not safe for for black people, for trans people, and especially not for black trans people. Oh, yeah. um, and so uh, we were trying to raise funds so we can get him out of there and get him a, a fresh start so he can actually start living the life that he wants to live instead of just always constantly playing catch up and just, you know, keeping his head above water. Um, and um, I this is so this is like the informal base thing, but like. I talked about this on my on my stream yesterday. So if you're gonna look at my VOD, it's gonna on my channel twitch.tv slash chats. It's gonna be for the June 10th VOD. So if you want the full story, you can go listen there. But um I went on a date with this guy, because I'm dating right now. And went on this date with this guy that supposedly was a communist, but it turns out throughout the date, he wasn't actually and transphobic racist all these things kept popping up and so eventually i just rage quit the date and made a whole thing about it and it kind of humiliated him so amazing pretty based based. amazing transphobes and racists do not deserve sex and you know that kind of a rejection is probably going to make that guy think twice about having those fucking opinions (laughs) do you know what i mean like like someone standing up and being like you're a freak I'm out of here. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, is, that is really good too. Like I really <laughs> did a good job. I looked so good. And so like I walk my I walk my little heels and my cute skirt away, click clack, and then I just walked in a direction I didn't know where I was. I'm in the middle of the city. No idea. But oh, I was just like, I'm just so going hard. in a direction and I'm like, I'm gonna this guy does not deserve to have a good day. So so good. Yeah. So but, good. Anyways, that's that's my week. Um Mule. I'm what base things have you been up to this week? Well, um, I've not been very well still. Um, I've been okay. I've not been like suffering or anything. It's just kind of like little bits here and there, like, you know, pockets of of, uh, fatigue and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I went to the gym on Wednesday to like, you know, 
see if I could get back into the gym kind of thing. And I was able yeah. to do a workout and that was, that was great. Um, I was able to do like the same work- workout, the same weights, the same exercises, the same cardio. And I wasn't as like, you know, uh, exhausted as I thought I would be. So my cardio has not gone down. My, my, you know, my muscles are obviously still working and stuff like that. So that's helped me mentally. But later on, I was so tired. Like when I got mm-hmm. home, I was like so ridiculously physically and mentally tired and i think it was just a bit of a of a moment where i said to myself you know what i'm not well enough to go back at the gym yet i'm not well enough and that was the decision that i made and that is the most base thing i did this week <laughs> legitimately like just making that decision to to not push myself um because a lot of the reason that i go to the gym is because uh, i suffer with hellish body dysmorphia like i think mm. constantly that i look um unattractive and all that and everybody you know that i have dated everyone that i am uh, you know uh, that i've met that's seen me like naked and stuff has always said like how hot i am and stuff like that and it's something that i just need to like get out of my head you know what i mean like missing the gym for three weeks is not gonna i'm not gonna lose my muscle i'm not gonna lose do you know what i mean all the things that i've worked for and stuff like that so yeah it's 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 just yeah it's just one of those basically like realizing that i am not um, you know, I, I don't need to push mm-hmm. myself to go and do that. And I could just wait a little bit and wait till I'm yeah. fully better. And that'll be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was me. Sweet, beautiful Sophie. What about you? Well, I went, uh, I was off last week from the show. So I'm telling you about something that happened week before. Actually, I'll tell you about this week first, because there's a much smaller thing, which is just like, I've been going to this trans climbing group, uh, which is just called that, like trans London climbing group or whatever. Um, and um, I've been going to it for like a few months now and I've just been making progress. Like you just reminded me with your gym thing. Like I, I just, um, uh, it's, I've been posting some like thirst traps of me climbing walls that people have been uh, mildly to extremely normal about on Twitter. Um, and like, it's just, um, I don't know, just making like little progress with that, uh, getting better at bouldering. Uh, for, for anyone who understands bouldering ranking system, I'm moving up from V1, V2s to V3s at the moment. And it's really rewarding and nice and cool. And it feels good, especially like as a trans person doing sports with other trans people is like a rare and lovely thing. But that's like, that's the kind of base where it's like, well, that's based because that's for you, you know, and self-care is based. But I have a good story from last week. So um, we went to an action, Nat and I went to an action to defend uh, asylum seekers because uh, the home office had offered these asylum seekers four to a room, dirty, smelly uh, accommodation that was just unhygienic, not enough bathrooms for people, rooms too small, like I say, four to a room. And they refused because they like they knew there was better accommodation available. Like they they even knew other people who were in two to a room accommodation, and they were like, "Well, no, like put us in that one, like put us in that place instead. Like we're not accepting this." And the home office wouldn't budge on it, so the uh, asylum seekers like slept in the street for two nights um, as an act of protest. So we went out there to um, to just like see what we could do to help out and also join the protest to make the protest itself bigger. And when Nat was out there on the first day, she basically there was some right wing media sniffing around, right? There was some like twink from the Telegraph who like doesn't even like this is a thing that Americans might not appreciate about the UK, but you can really, really see a Tory just immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like not not 99 out of a hundred times, right? It's just like you just they've got they got the Tory face. And like 
you know, other than it's a face uh, that's seen zero struggle. Like that's yeah, what it is. Exactly, it's a face exactly, that has exactly. seen Baby no face, pain. Right? Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like this guy was relatively young, but he's also like wearing like a suit and uh like you know a, a, a light pink shirt with this fancy suit like you know in the middle of the blazing heat and you're like okay you're some kind of wonk dickhead uh it turns out he's reporting for the telegraph there's some woman who's sniffing around and she seems to be like she looks like a bit of a hippie or whatever but then when they asked her who she was reporting for she's like the spectator and they're like the what now and she's like oh it's the, the spectator because like she rightfully is ashamed you know because the spectator is a fucking racist rag um mm. Uh, so we went down there a second day. Uh, it was quite fun. Like just, you know, hung out basically made a lot of friends, uh, help these guys out, uh, as best we can. And, uh, also chatted to some members of the public, uh, about the protest and what was going on. There was some lovely, there was this lovely scouse woman who came by, um, kind of a, a perfect reminder of the way that like people might not get the way to talk about everything perfectly but like they can still be like solid um she was like so so she did say some weird anti-vax stuff but like other than that she was actually like she was talking about like the the need for a general strike and the need for all the workers to just stop working until until the government is replaced by, by like a workers government and she was like uh she'd been up in um up in Liverpool, like uh, helping her son, who's just recovered from top surgery because he's trans. Uh, and and again, this is like a perfect example. Like she was misgendering her son, but she knows mm-hmm. that he's trans and she was there to take care of him after his surgery. So it's like, you know, you know yeah. what I mean? Anyway, most mm-hmm. reactionary scouser. Um, she's like, she's like a little bit, a little bit poisoned with some weird discourse stuff, but like ultimately extremely based. Um, anyway, so we were there. And I see a guy uh, in a suit and tie, little Union Jack pin, pin uh, do, trying to do a piece to camera. And I'm like, this is going to be a right wing journal, a real piece of shit. Mm. And uh, so I go over there and I ask him, what are you, who are you reporting for? And he goes, oh, GB News. It's this fantastic new outlet. I don't know if you've heard of it. And I go, that yeah, that accent. yeah I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, mate, I've heard of it. So it turns out this guy is Richard Tice um this is quite fun so um basically basically we made it so they didn't have any usable footage because we kept on like so what happened was i stood behind him and i just started talking to nat just off screen and going like do you think that gb news viewers get that gb news think their audience are fucking idiots like you to lie to people that much you have to think they're stupid you have to think they're thick as pig shit right and like nat's just like yeah yeah and i'm just like carry on having that uh mm-hmm. the guy can't he can't, he, Richard can't do his bit to camera at all. He starts trying to like interrogate us instead of, instead of do the bit, right. To try and make the story us instead. We mm-hmm. won't give him anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like really incensed that we won't answer our names. So he starts asking if we have jobs. He's like, <laughs> why are you down here in the middle of a Friday afternoon? If you have a job and uh, we're just like, why are you down here? Like, <laughs> you don't- <laughs> You don't have a real fucking job. Nat, Nat, actually, Nat actually said to him, uh, Nat actually said to him, do you, uh, sorry, Nat actually said like, I do have a job. I work for the home office. And I thought it was so fucking funny. Um, and then like, he starts asking if we're on benefits, right? Because this is the classic Tory line to try and imply that people are lazy. And I'm just like, do you think any of your viewers are on benefits, Richard? You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> again, like they think their viewers are idiots. Sick. Um, GB news viewers should be fucking offended by how they're treating them. Um, 
Oh, yeah. So another thing, it turned out that he had done an interview with an asylum seeker earlier in the day, being really dishonest about who he was and what his aims were. And he tried to like represent the whole thing as like these asylum seekers, they're just mad because their Wi-Fi isn't strong enough. Like really just like horrible, scummy lying. They can't shit. get avocado toast, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, spoiled. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he like he like said the address of the hotel in the video mm-hmm. so like a bunch of like right wing like conspiracy cranks were coming around because like gb news wants to be like the uk info wars so there's a bunch of absolute fucking weirdos were coming around um so like yeah he, he's asking us if we're on benefits one of his weirdos i now realized but i didn't know at the time comes around the corner and goes i've just seen them taking drugs around the corner and um and uh tice turns to us and says are you drug dealers and we all just like laugh at him because like what a fucking ridiculous thing to say so that's like i say like they had no usable footage because it's just us laughing at him and pointing out how they think their viewers are idiots uh and they can't they can't fucking show that on the show Mm -hmm. so like they tried to move the camera they realized that we were just going to follow them anywhere that they went so they called they called they called richard uh who is a multimillionaire and the head of the reform party um which is actually just a fascist party um they oh, called wait, him do you mean cab. do you mean reclaim or is is this another one reform he said reform yeah oh um oh, well yeah maybe he is. sorry I, um, sorry so they called him a cab so he could run away basically because they realized they weren't going to get anything on the ground so they were going to do the same piece like reporting on the same thing but from the studio and so like we watched a bit of it and he is just like describing the same interaction but from his side and like trying to pretend it's normal to just like ask people if they're a drug dealer um really pathetic stuff um yeah so basically the most basic thing i did this week i trolled gb news until they couldn't uh they couldn't report on migrants anymore Mm. um which was good fun uh he also tried to threaten me by like filming me on his phone without asking uh and trying to like report on the situation i'm down here and this uh, lefty do-gooder is blah 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 um and then saying to me that he hopes his audience can help figure out who i am um but like this is a i mean this is a don't try this at home moment like i know that it's just not a big deal for me to be on camera like that's the thing that he didn't know that i know it's i don't care his viewers Mm -hmm. can figure out who i am i'm right fucking here Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. go go the fuck ahead richard you got nothing uh why are you so embarrassed to tell your viewers that you're a multimillionaire? uh (laughs) is it because you're lying to them and you think they're stupid Anyway, uh, that was my most based thing this week. Um, but what about our viewers? Anything based that the audience has been up to? I have seen that there is a based viewer called John. And the most based thing that John did this week was to take part in an important grassroots volunteer organization which cleans which cleans up the local area uh, by opening tire valves. The local area is uh, quite, quite... An affluent affluent. area. I I actually missed that out because I didn't know why it was in there, but now I understand why it's in there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. A local affluent area by opening tire valves on dangerous and unnecessarily (laughs) polluting vehicles. Not only is this based, it's also a fun and cathartic social activity which anyone can do for free the positive effects are innumerable from immediately safer roads to the blow being struck to the second largest cause of global rise in co2 emissions all the way to rich people feeling just a little bit less comfortable about the horrible shit they do well john that's extremely based we would of course never we would never tell anyone to do anything that is illegal <laughs> because we believe that the law is the arbiter of, of all morality. But we do know that more and more people will be doing this. Many, many people are doing this and we will see many, many more people 
uh, doing that as well. Uh, but we want to know what base things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to base.redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns. If you're cool with that, we may shout it out in a later episode. But now on to the news. And I should have let someone else read that last bit because this first segment, this first bit is, is me. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you now about uh, what's been going on with uh, Cop City, the uh, organizers in Atlanta who were arrested. So basically non-existent domestic terrorist designations have been used in warrants to arrest bail fund organizers in Atlanta. Three bail fund organizers who have been facilitating aid to activists arrested in the Stop Cop City process found themselves the subject of arrest for financial crimes. This week it has come to light that the warrants issued for these organizers, uh, along with dozens of other protesters and activists affiliated with Defend the Atlanta Forest, include a claim that the organization has been designated as domestic violent extremists by the, de Christ. the Department of Homeland Security. You love to see it, folks. Love that Department of Homeland Security. Definitely securing the homeland. Uh, that's what they do. They definitely <laughs> I mean, do yeah, it. That's they're doing that, yeah. They're doing it, they're doing it. Um, uh -huh. And when asked by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution if Defend the Atlanta Forest has been classified as domestic violent extremists, a spokesperson for DHS says, the Department of Homeland Security does not classify or designate any groups as domestic violent extremists. Come well, on now. Yeah, I'm not sure come about on that now. one. Hey. Come on, Whoa. come on, buddy. Come on. <laughs> oh, uh, Georgia's Bureau of Investigations is standing by their choice to include the factually untrue justifications, saying that a description for a domestic violent extremist provided by DHS, again, a classification the, the DHS does not itself use, apparently, uh, describes the behavior of individuals within the group. Um, nice. So, yeah, you know, this is, this is extremely fucked up stuff. Um, you know, Stop Cop City is should should be on the the minds of of everybody um right now especially in in america especially in new york uh you know where we saw this week some dystopian fucking images from the 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 canada canadian wildfires yeah. which we're going to talk well, we'll about we'll get to it yeah bit. um but anyone who has seen that should know that yeah. defending forests is a big part of stopping stuff like that from happening you know not just stopping the uh horrific fascist training ground that is it's, stop cop city it's like they're campaigning to stop cop city and the response is uh here's a demonstration of all the reasons we need to stop cops because they're Ooh. the fucking worst like it's they really they really couldn't play it by respectability politics here the the, the cops they couldn't possibly be like what we're just trying to uphold law and order instead they just had to be like that's right we are pieces of shit we are the fucking worst yeah horrific so our sweet sophie you're now going to mm. tell us about nato and kosovo Sure thing, yeah. Uh, I think that some people have seen this, some reporting going on about uh, unrest in Kosovo, and I figured it was worth taking a moment so our audience understands it better. 
Uh, listen up, folks. Uh, so NATO has announced a further 700 troops to be sent to Kosovo to quell unrest among Kosovar Serbs who are protesting their lack of political autonomy. The Republic of Kosovo is a country in Southeast Europe with, for those who are unaware, a very tense ethno-political history. Kosovo was previously a part of Serbia, though during the Second World War, Albanian Nazi collaborators participated in a mass persecution of ethnic Serbs that saw between 70,000 and 100,000 Kosovar Serbs expelled or sent to concentration camps. So the country is pri- like is um primarily uh ethnically albanian but the there are enormous tensions between um between the uh kosovar albanians and the biggest minority the kosovar serbs um Recently, Serbs blocked Albanian candidates elected in Kosovo from entering government buildings, having boycotted the votes en masse. They're boycotting them because they feel like they don't actually have any kind of representation in Kosovo's electoral system. Basically, uh, their feeling is that like the 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 writing is on the wall that Kosovo is increasingly just going to be like a, a, a part of Albania or whatever, and that, that they like as Serbs want to be Serbian. Uh, that's where the tension is coming from, basically. Um, the protests by ethnic Serbs reflect a sentiment that Serbians don't have political autonomy within the 77% demographically Albanian country. During recent protests, 30 NATO troops, oh no, and 50 Serbs were injured. And now NATO is sending 700 more troops. So... Uh... <laughs> The, uh, the article we've got up actually is Kosovo complains of biased Western envoys in talks with its former foe Serbia. Um, basically, like the the Western line on this is like Serbia is completely terribly evil and the worst possible thing. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm, I'm, I'm not going to like take a, a, a stance on, on Serbia so much as just to say that is the position that you'll see portrayed through like NATO aligned kind of uh, Western media. Um, and Kosovo's government, who have been using NATO to like suppress the ethnic Serb protests, are now saying that uh, the the Western mediators who are who are like handling uh, the tensions have a pro-Serbian bias, which is like they're they're saying essentially what's obviously the exact opposite of the obvious truth, uh, so that they can justify getting more NATO troops in. Um, one uh, representative from NATO said that they d- they wouldn't rule out sending thousands of troops to Kosovo to put down the uh, the Serbian unrest. So they 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 now you know about Kosovo and uh, what to expect there. Probably more of that because NATO is uh, doing an interventionism. Naughty NATO, cut that out. That's not cool. Stop yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, they should stop it. It's really bad. Uh, Kira, you want to tell us about the forest fires? Oh, yeah, I would love to, actually. Um, So right now there are forest fires happening in Canada. um, And the smoke from the forest fires in Canada have been traveling to the U.S. ever since Tuesday. And I don't know if you all have seen the images, but the images are horrific. So we saw something very similar on the West Coast, um, which I was in the presence of. And it was it was it was extraordinarily creepy and, and a terrifying visual visually like undeniable like uh scene of climate change right and scene of of capitalism um but we're we're experiencing that that right now on the east coast in america in particular in new york um so now then by wednesday this is just a day after uh the smoke started traveling to new york by wednesday the air quality index in the region exceeded 400 which is by the way very bad that's the worst since the EPA started recording air quality um, in 1999. So it's it's really, really bad. It's the worst in the world. Um, just to tell you, as previous uh, 
like previous wildfires contributing to poor air quality in the on the West Coast, uh, research suggests that the fires we're seeing now as well are resulting from climate change. So it's from the droughts, from the heat, lots of different factors are leading to these like these huge plumes of like uh, like massively harmful, effectively pollution. A lot of times we don't think of pollution as being something like the result of a fire, but it is still pollution. It's pouring carbon into the atmosphere. It's it's pouring tons of particular matter into the atmosphere, which is harmful. It leads to short term har- um, harm in our lungs and our you know other parts in our in our in our throats, etc. Short term harm, but also long term harm. Um, so also in Canada, tens of thousands of people have also been displaced because of these fires. Um, so I just want to quickly give a shout out to anyone who is experiencing that right now. If you're watching from that area, um, our thoughts are with you. We hope that y'all could, I, I know that the resources are very slim right now. There's like a big shortage of N95s and N95s are going to be a really great way to, unfortunately uncomfortable. I can see being uncomfortable if you're not able to like find any place with air filters um, where you can stay indoors. But if you're able, but if you, but you have to go out and, and deal with like the smoky air and N95, a well-fitting N95 is going to protect you uh, pretty well against the the effects of that smoke. Um, unfortunately, there is a shortage happening and um, the New York mayor was like, oh, we're going to be redistributing a million N95s for free to New Yorkers, like the entire state of New York. And by the way, there's like 21 million people or like 20 million people or something like that in New York. So this is not even remotely adequate. And there, and, and she said she's going to be redistributing them at like bus terminals and stuff, which is like, that means you have to literally leave your house. Like just, uh, just mail a bunch of the people just bring them to their door. Um, But, but no, but this is again, once again, the state, just couldn't be bothered to to give a fuck about people. Um, so I just want to direct your attention to a couple of things of the story. The fact that this is a climate change catastrophe is another another sign of climate change. Also paired hand in hand with that is also how the state does not actually care about people. It's not doing shit for anyone, and that the rich can't escape the effects of this. The rich right. can 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 don't have to go outside and labor in fields, right? They don't have to go outside and ex- expose themselves to the outside air. The rich can stay indoors. They can stay indoors and HEPA filtered uh, and breathe HEPA filtered air. In fact, there's this whole luxury air industry that is a really strongly emerged because of these because of these uh, incidents, right? Like on the West Coast, we saw that all, a lot of the rich were going on vacation and stuff to hotels that had like like, you know, filtered air and they'd have to experience any of this stuff. The rich can also just like literally leave. They can just go on vacation, like somewhere completely different. So this is like just a huge divide between those, the haves and the have nots. And we're seeing it over and over and over again, um, including now. Yeah. So also one more thing, uh, we did have Common Hu- Common Humanity Collective on the Red Planet show, uh, like, I don't know, several weeks back, a few months back. And they're a really great org that uh, helps to distribute resources and provide uh, like tutorials on how to construct your own air filters. And this is going to be really important if you if to 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 handle the massive particulate matter that's polluting your area, if not now, maybe in the future. Um and just generally speaking, there's pollution everywhere. So you should check out that episode on our YouTube channel. Uh, again, it's Common Humanity Collective. You can check out their their website. Um, just Google it. And um, yeah, just uh, there are ways you can construct 
it's not going to be free, but it's going to be more affordable um, DIY uh, air filters. So you can hopefully not be too harmed or die during, during these uh, climate catastrophes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to anyone in New York right now. We, uh, we hope you're coping with this shit well and protect yourselves and your loved ones. But Mule, what's going yes. on in Nam- and, and Nambia? Nambia, Namibia. Namibia, um, Namibia um, has basically um, had some stuff going on this week. Uh, there's been homophobic backlash growing after the Supreme Court of Namibia ruled in favor of recognizing same-sex marriage. Um, So basically, Namibia is um, a country in Africa where um, they basically, there is not a lot of protections for uh, LGBTQIA plus people. Uh, However, um, this story uh, seems to point to the fact that uh, the Supreme Court of Namibia issued a judgment recognizing same-sex unions of two uh, non-nationals denied immigration status. <clears throat> so basically, this is the conclusion of a six-year court case. The decision does not legalize same-sex marriage in the country, instead requiring the government to recognize same-sex marriages of couples who are married in a country where it is already legal to do so. Uh, but in response, politicians and church leaders have begun openly calling for supporters to fight the decision. Uh, conversations in WhatsApp groups formed to organize against the LGBTQ community include calls for the eradication of these citizens. People are being warned not to meet people on gay dating apps due to a spike in new memberships immediately following the decision. Um, if you don't know what that means, um, this is something that like legitimately happens in the US and the UK. It's not like exclusive to, uh, uh, you know, Africa or, or, or other places in the imperial periphery or, or, or just, in, just in places that are like extremely uh, homophobic. Although I would say the US and the UK are pretty fucking homophobic these days, uh, queerphobic in general. But um, it's, it's where basically um, queerphobic people will create a fake profile, want to meet, uh, you know, say to a queer person, let's meet for sex, uh, meet them in a, par- in a park or something like that and just jump them, basically. Um, it's extremely horrific. Um, I would always, always, always say to people, if you're going to go on Grinder, it doesn't matter where you are in the world um, and you want to meet someone for like anonymous sex, no strings attached sex, um, I would never tell anyone to not do that because it's unsafe or whatever. I would say at least just meet someone in a coffee shop first just so at least someone can see that you're in that place mm. uh, and and tell someone you know tell someone that you trust that you that you're going to meet someone randomly basically there, there are safe ways to do these things just like there are safe ways to do drugs etc etc um we shouldn't have to do it don't get me wrong it's not something i'm happy to to tell people to do but this is the world we live in right um but anyway people are being warned not to be people on gay dating apps like i said uh due to this uh but Despite all this, Namibia Drag Night, a celebrated fixture of the country's LGBTQ community, has postponed their Pride Month performance due to safety concerns. In a statement to the Namibian production manager, Zindri Schwartz said, uh, Drag Night Namibia will continue. We just decided to postpone our next event as we're busy evaluating and implementing possible safety mechanisms for the protection of our performers and audience members. Drag Night Namibia prides itself in being a safe space for our community and allies, and currently the safety of our community is 
under attack. Therefore, we saw this as a necessary precaution till further notice. Now, just a little bit of extra um, personal stuff on this story. Uh, well, it's not personal, but I just I just wanted to add it um, myself because something that I think really gets overlooked is queer phobia in places in the imperial periphery. And there is so much racism attached to that. Um, number one, because a lot of people, a lot of white people, even white queers will say this, uh, you know, oh, well, they're just like that, you know, excuses like that, right? And it's not true. It's not true at all. If we look at Uganda, for example, um, Uganda had the last sort of indigenous ruler of Uganda was bisexual, prov provably bisexual. Um, and it was the missionaries, the colonizers, um, you know, white Christians coming to Africa, desperately trying to colonize the place, uh, you know, steal people for slavery and shit like that, that brought these horrific views to places like Africa. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to sit here and say there are no indigenous people anywhere that, that are homophobic. You know, that's not the case. Indigenous people are not the monolith. But more often than not, these things are overlooked because, you know, places like Africa are seen in a white supremacist context as backwards or wrong or like savage. Do you know what I mean? And of course, it's just important to point out how extremely racist and white supremacist that that all is. So, you know, when when we're when we're shouting about things that are going on in America, when we're shouting about things that are going on in the UK, we absolutely have to remember our queer comrades um, all over the imperial periphery as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, moving on to the next bit of um, of news, Kira, you're going to tell us something about Lula. Yeah. From Brazil, right? Friend of the show, Lula. Uh, yeah. Hi, Lula. Thanks for watching. Um, so just to do a little bit of a review of the history of uh, the United States intervening with uh, Brazilian politics. Um, we already knew that. On June 18th, 2019, Brazilian Congressman Paulo Pimenta uh, showed the EU Parliament that the United States Department of Justice uh, is not, not just a partner, which this, by the way, this was known since 2015, but was actually leading the Lava Jato uh, investigation that imprisoned Lula. So if you don't know, Lava Jato is this uh, just a very dubious anti-corruption investigation uh, for uh, Dilma Rousseff, which uh, which is the Lula's former chief of staff from 2005 to 2010, and his successor. And this is the investigation that led to Lula being imprisoned. Um, so we already knew that the United States was not just a partner in the um, in 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 putting uh, Lula in jail. We also knew that he was. Uh, or sorry, the Department of the U.S. Department of Justice was actually leading that investigation. But now there's even more evidence that this is the case. Um, there was a newly revealed telegraph leak that was that was just leaked. Um, it directly supports this claim because it shows the Lava Jato Task Force prosecutor Robinson Pazoban telling the fellow task force member Diogo. I'm butchering these names. I apologize, Diogo Castor, telling them that they have to wait for author from authorization from the United States before they can issue an arrest warrant for uh, the, the the lawyer for Lula, basically, Lula's administration. Um, so basically just admitting that they're waiting on, on the Americans to give them the go-ahead to proceed. <laughs> so they said, calm down, Castor. The warrant is ready, but we have to wait for the position of the Americans after our meeting next Monday to file it. 
I know that your, my, me, and everyone's hope for this is huge. Um, so this is just like, this just absolutely just proof positive that the United States is directly, directly trying to interfere with the politics of, first of all, another country, which no, everyone understands that, but is also interfering with the election of, of anyone who is even, uh, you know, somewhat socialist, someone trying to like nationalize resources, someone trying to, um, not just put all of their all all of the resources of their country up for like say American corporations to exploit willy nilly, um, and so by the way this led to Bol- Bolsonaro taking power. So Bolsonaro was absolutely part of this ploy. As you can see, he was completely completely different guy than Lula, allowing for uh, corporations to fully and utterly and completely di- like, exploit Brazilian resources. Um, for profit and not, in fact, nationalizing those resources for the people. Um, so I just want to say that with this new evidence, we here at Red Planet are are shocked to learn that the United yep, States. I'm shocked. Is I'm shocked. Me, this is my shocked face. I'm so shocked. Yeah, can't Whoa. believe it. Wow. Whoa. Wow. We. Wow. Wars. Wow. 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 <laughs> Whoa. And Whoa. also. Uh, for all the people that always go, well, why can't, why isn't socialism working? Why is there no socialist countries? <laughs> so good. And then I just want to point your attention to things like this. Yeah. 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 The yeah. Imperial Corps directly interferes in any kind of uh, attempt for, for countries to eradicate capitalism because it's in the nature of Imperial Corps uh, governments to prevent socialism, prevent communism. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. They convince themselves uh, that socialism is impossible, and they're really determined mm-hmm. to prove that's true by, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, by killing every socialist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah imprisoning exactly. anyone, not even socialists though. Like Lula is not. I wouldn't call Lula right, a socialist. He's not a socialist. Right. Yeah. Any sort of hints towards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, putting mm-hmm. power back into the hands of people. Any sort of hint towards taking natural uh, a country's natural resources and just nationalizing them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not even trying to abolish capitalism or anything, no. right? So he's, um, he's he's like he's like you know a neoliberal basically, but he you know wants to make sure that the Amazon doesn't get torn down. Basically, yeah. Someone like, every, everything else some, is horrific. Someone like Bernie is like we should raise his taxes on the rich to uh, to be a little bit like what they do in every other country. And uh, the New York Times is like it has Stalin risen from the grave. <laughs> And you see how they treated Bernie. Like it just takes any oh. sort of hint, uh, a, a slight hint toward the possibility of socialism, and that's enough to to have for the American government to either domestically or, or internationally crack down oh. on those efforts. So uh, yeah, we're shocked, but uh, you know, you live and learn, move forward. Anyway, Sophie, you mm-hmm. have a you have a glow to you. Am I? Yeah. Is that anybody else notice? Sophie has a glow. I, I am noticing a glow. For those for those of you listening, I'm going to describe Sophie's glow. Uh, she's glowing. It's yeah. a glow. There's a glow around her. There's an aura around. Yeah. Her. What's going yeah. on with that? It's a new what's skincare routine. What's going on? <laughs> you're uh you're 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 joking around because I've added uh, my birthday to the news uh to the news list. Oh! Uh, it was my it was my birthday on Monday. I'm 27 oh! now. Happy birthday, uh, happy birthday, Sophie! Sophie. Thank you. you. Should oh, be a national holiday, babe. but like you I know. think so. It's okay when 
when I'm the Comrade General Secretary of the United People's uh, Democratic Republic of Intercoastal Eggborough, uh, I will make it a national holiday. It'll be okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just want, I just wanted to mention my birthday because I like mentioning my birthday and mentioning that I have a, a, a link tree, linktree.ee slash Sophie from Mars, where you can like send me money directly or look at my Amazon wish list. Because, you know, sometimes people on the internet like to celebrate my birthday by giving mm-hmm. me things and money and things and mm-hmm. money and um you know i just thought that was worth mentioning just I in think case you're right i think mm-hmm. you're right just in and, case. I think, and i think if you don't go to linktra.ee forward slash sophie from mars you're not a real communist it's no. not a real communist yeah you're like that guy i went on a date with that i rage quit you're that level of a communist <laughs> <laughs> i I still can't so, believe Kira actually went on a date with Caleb Morpin. It is, it is. Uh, uh, I guess the. His I think someone in the chat earlier was saying taking one for the team. <laughs> you know, someone's got to. You know, someone's got to go on a date with him. Yeah, we might as might as well. You know. Well, it's praxis. It's praxis, right? Because you know he's going to be blown away by your incandescent beauty. Um, you know, and all of a sudden. Uh, his opinions about people who, when they exist, they have no effect on his life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made this this wonderful angel disappear, fly away. Mm-hmm. So Click, clap you know, my heels. Yeah, it's over. So Caleb, do you know, better. Do better. Caleb, come on, man. <laughs> and also, you sunscreen. That? I don't. I'm really concerned for you. You're always sunburned. I also. I also wore uh, skirt and heels this week, which like is kind of rare for me. Um, like I talk a lot about being a femme, but I also you reminded me because you were saying about like clacking away in your little heels. Um, but like I don't know, it's something that's made me super nervous for a long time because there's like internalized transphobia. I think mm. people people always focus in on like trans women wearing heels or like wearing nice underwear. It's clearly a fetish, and it's just like I don't know. I, I that was I guess like a late entry to based things this week was a, a self care entry like. It was nice for me. I got some wedges. They look nice. I look oh, good. Oh, that's in them. great! You know that's so. Nice. That's so. Um, Props your coinc- butt up. Coincidental. Yeah. So, because Lena, my partner, uh, who is mm. also trans and uh, a woman, she basically wore a dress and heels, which are wedges for the first time. I think they're wedges. Yeah. I think they're wedges. Mm-hmm. But she she did it for the first time this week as well. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I've like I've worn them. I think I've worn heels like in a video one time when i needed to look taller because i was doing like a lady dimitrescu thing for resident mm. evil oh, but like yeah, i haven't yeah. actually properly worn heels to like go somewhere and like be for out you. somewhere yeah exactly and i wore them on a date and it was really like fucking cool and a bunch of people were checking me out and i was like hell yeah you know what this whips actually yeah um, that rocks yeah. happy uh, for you babe that's so cool yeah it is oh, the season yeah. for sundresses and and slutty heels you know I thought you were going to say it is the season for sundresses and getting railed in them, and it's and that, also that. Uh, I, I mean, I was I'm trying to keep that. this 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 uh, as several, you know this good sh- Christian podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say this is our family. Of course, Red Planet is for families. You know, it's that's what that, that's what we say. I already have plenty of sundresses, but I the, the 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 victory of the skirt is kind of the news here. I think I think I'm like um, I don't know. I didn't realize how much I I need to get more skirts. I think because I like didn't realize how how good an outfit and how good I feel about it. Um, but I put together this, so basically there's this regular rave I go to, uh, and we were always doing fucking ridiculous and very slutty outfits for it. Um, and the next one I'm going to be like dominatrix Barbie is the bit. 
So awesome. I got like a little, a little like plaid mean girl skirt, like a plaid oh, pleated, yeah. pleated mean girl skirt and like some like pink clothes to kind of make a very Barbie outfit. And then um, a friend had, was clearing out her flat and she had a bunch of like shoes she doesn't want anymore. And she showed me these wedges and I was like, fuck, I've accidentally just completed the Barbie outfit. Cause I was just going to go in like, I don't know what, like maybe, maybe just trainers or whatever. But now I'm like, holy shit, this is absolutely it. That's such a Sophie thing. Oh my god! I accidentally completed my Barbie outfit. <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you know? My Dominic's Barbie outfit has been accidentally completed. This is a mm. thing. Mm. By the way, I am going for a tattoo, a birthday tattoo tomorrow. So, if 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 you want to be a part owner of my birthday tattoo, um, send me some money. A Think about a shareholder. Yeah. yeah, get on the ground floor of my of my birthday tattoo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you'll get an nft of nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically every nft anyway so yeah 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 that works that attracts cool so uh this week's episode with we're talking about how uh workers who are striking want to work because a lot of workers who are striking are doing jobs they like that are valuable that help people and uh this is an example of that because we have a couple of uh, workers who are on strike from St. Mungo's, the uh, homeless charity uh, here, here in the UK. So um, yeah, with that with that said, um, welcome on Harvey and Andrea. Hi guys, yeah, can you hear you right? Hi. Yeah, we're reading you loud and clear. Hi. Welcome to Red Planet. Why don't you introduce yourselves uh, in no particular order and tell us what you do and what's going on? Um, Harry, do you want to go first? No, go on, you go, Andrea. Okay, so uh, I am Andrea. I'm part of the Unite uh, shop for Semangos. In Semangos, I am a team leader working in criminal justice services, um, making sure that uh, people that are living in prison are not um, sleeping on the streets on release. Um, so, yeah, and I'm my union rep as well. Hi, um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm Harvey. Um, so I'm a, a support worker at St. Mungo's. Um, uh, I work uh, in a servicing in King's Cross, um, and um, uh, yeah, just sort of supporting uh, service users for um, you know, sort of medium to high support needs um, with you know various things, uh, and yeah, sort of uh, supporting them to sort of move on into yeah more stable accommodation. Uh, and I'm also a, a unit rep. That's great. And you are currently on strike, is that right? Yeah. So um, yeah, we're, so we 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 began strike action about uh, two weeks ago. Um, so um, on the 30th of May, and we're on strike for um, our plan. Action is for four weeks. Um, so um, so that will be I think the will be the 27th of uh, June when our kind of um, uh, is our sort of proposed or the um, you know the proposed strike action for now. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're just coming up to we're just entering our third week now. Wow. How are you feeling? (laughs) (laughs) It's been, um, yeah, I think it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been really energizing to see so many, um, uh, so many sort of like members, um, so many sort of, um, uh, you know, so many colleagues just sort of, I think, similarly sort of feeling a bit fed up with sort of increasing workloads, you know, sort of real terms pay cuts and sort of, you know, deciding sort of just to kind of, um, collectively say, you know, we've had enough, we've got to do something about this. And I think that kind of led us to sort of 
we've had sort of strikes in the past, which maybe Andre, you, you know, you'd be able to sort of talk a bit more about. Um, but um, but yeah, we've had sort of um, you know strikes which have been a few days in South sort of um, you know this is unprecedented in sort of St Mungo's, and we sort of had this is a, a kind of biggest sort of strike action by um, uh, you know I think um, ever St Mungo's, and so I think it was just sort of yeah you know. Uh, it was really kind of energising sort of see over the past week I think we've just kind of got stronger a lot of sort of people it's been really nice to sort of make those bonds in the picket line and just sort of see everyone just sort of uh, feeling sort of similarly you know kind of um, uh, encouraged just sort of like you know start start sort of I suppose pushing back against uh, Wilton's pay cuts really. Mm. How long what's the history of your union and how long have y'all been unionized? You might be able to ask that a bit more Andrew I don't know if you're yeah, so um, I joined some mangoes in 2011 and uh, the Union Unite was already there. Um, we've, we've been unionized for a very long time. Um, I think that the difference uh, from back then to now is that um, like the members of the Union is as, as is Clyde. Um, we've never had that um, huge membership. We're more than 50% of the company um, alone. So um, the membership has grown in the last um, month or so to its record. And why do you feel like that is? Because I know that in America, like we're very devoid of unions, but even even here, we're seeing a big unionization wave and, and, and companies that normally never even had unions because of how like oppressed it was to create them are now fighting against those odds and creating unions. And so it's really exciting to see. And you're telling me that you're experiencing, uh, sure, there's a union already, but it's now surging in popularity. And why do you feel like that's changed? I think that is is the time where we say enough is enough. We are crossing that road when we see a person that is sleeping rough. We're looking after them. We're caring for them. We're making sure that they are looked after. We work with the most vulnerable in society and we deserve a pay that is fair, that allows us to meet ends, that actually is not going to put us at risk of homelessness because what we are trying to do is to fight that and unfortunately, over the last 10 years, we've lost in real terms 25% of, of pay. If we think about how the inflation has worked, we're far worse 25%, whereas um, senior management and um, the CEO salaries have grown. Um, I mean, CEO 77%, um, they earn more than the prime minister that is ruling the country mm. um, and that <laughs> wow. says it all yeah mm -hmm. you can't really deny that so um when when it comes to uh i don't know what kind of uh, outreach you do um to to get people um you know, like do you do you go specifically out to the workers and talk to them specifically about like hey this is this what's happening. This is how much how much you should be being paid. This is how you're not being paid that. This is how much senior management's getting. Um, do you do you have to do that? Because there's different ways that you know um, people end up joining unions. But um, have you are you having those conversations, or are people just kind of like absorbing all of everything? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion happening. You know, outside of just literal unions about the the cost of living you know all around the world um i'm just wondering like in your opinion how are people making that going from frustrated to actually joining the union and striking yeah i think there's a yeah i think there's definitely been maybe sort of like 
I suppose, yeah, being sort of like quite an acute sort of like cost of living crisis, uh, you know, across the kind of profit crisis, you know, where I suppose it, it does sort of prompt those conversations. Um, you know, I think I think people are probably like naturally kind of having those conversations in their teams about, you know, when sort of like, you know, they're seeing kind of like their food bills, energy bills go up, you know, I, I suppose there is, it lends itself to a conversation of like, oh, am I being paid enough if, you know, my bills are being, uh, if my bills are going up on my wages aren't. And I think, I think there's probably been, um, uh, you know, sort of as Andrea kind of touched on as well, this kind of, you know, cumulative kind of pressure and sort of, um, um, you know, on sort of frontline services and staff over the past 10 years, just where, yeah, people have seen, you know, their workloads have increased, more complex workloads um, and, um, you know, pay go down. I guess it's sort of kind of, you know, um, uh, so it's, you know, it's, I think, part in the, the you know, perhaps sort of a trigger point and sort of just where inflation, you know, sort of skyrockets or particularly like over the past, you know, couple of years. But I think it's definitely been kind of like cumulative, um, you know, sort of over, over sort of the past, you know, sort of 10 years or arguably more, I guess, um, just where, you know, um, where sort of, I suppose, yeah, a lot of like frontline staff have just sort of found, you know, um, resources have kind of been disproportionately, I suppose. Uh, you know, we're seeing sort of, I suppose, a growing inequality between the those paid at the top or those at the top of the, the organisation and frontline workers um, and, um, you know, sort of um, a, a kind of an increasing um, sort of, yeah, discrepancy between the, the work we're doing, you know, how the company sort of says that they value us, you know, what we're being, you know, uh, what we're being told and, and, you know, what we're actually being rewarded, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I think the, the big thing to um, talk about here, because um, this is our... <laughs> this is this is the title of our episode today striking workers want to work um why don't you tell um uh, everybody who's listening what it is that saint mungo's does basically um so we <clears throat> sorry we are a, a homeless charity so our mission is to end the homelessness um we are a not-for-profit um Charity. So what we usually do is to um, participate on the tenders, the public tenders, where um, the government are putting funds in order to address rough sleeping or in order to address homelessness or treatment. Uh, we work with people that have um, been enduring trauma. Um, work with people that have uh, been um, in the criminal justice system. We have worked with people who um, are enduring mental health and we try to help them out to um, nurture a, a relationship with them where they are back on the feet and they are able to reintegrate and recover from the trauma um, to, to be part of society and, and have a life. Um, we, we are quite aware that at some point in their life there has been something that has broken and have put them to, to be some kind of like an outsider from society. And our mission is to, to bring them back, to, to show them that life is tough, but there is people still that are there for them and that are going to be looked after. Of course, and that is like <clears throat> such important work, especially. And um, you can see this if you actually go on the St. Mungo's website um, that, you know, it's 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 you know an organization that very much cares about the the plight of homeless people very much understands that there is a cost of living crisis in fact there is a 
little segment on the homepage of the website that says cost of living crisis. We're facing a once in a generation cost of living crisis, which will harm the poorest the most. And it's already having a direct in- impact on the people we support. Now, I think that's probably a bit of a, a kick in the face for some of the workers at St. Mungo's who are well aware of this and suffering a real, ter- a real terms pay cut. Um, <clears throat> and obviously it's, I think, you know, some people may see this. They may see people who are working for a charity like St. Mungo's who are working um, in the NHS, who are nurses and stuff like that, and see them going on strike and going, well, how dare they go on strike? They're doing such important work. But as the title of the, of the, the, the episode suggests, you know, striking workers still want to work. Like there is a reason why workers go on strike. You know, if, if people don't want to work in a certain profession, then they won't work it but if people enjoy the work they do if people value the work that they do then they will of course um you know make an effort to try and make the conditions at that place of work um you know more bearable and 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 more you know actually like a a, a decent place to work and, and and a place where you can actually have prospects have dreams have a future um <clears throat> and so what would you what would you say to that what would you say is like you know, is this something that striking workers have brought up to the management at St. Mungo's, the fact that they know that there is a cost of living crisis going on and, you know, they're, they're not really addressing that with their workers? I think I think there's been like, there's definitely been a bit of, you know, kind of lip service to sort of, you know, sort of like from senior management in terms of, oh, we recognise. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, it's been, um, it's, it's, it's really, really been lip service because all they've sort of really kind of offered is um, uh, a kind of one-off payment to begin with of about 500 quid. So I think coming out of the pandemic, they offered staff a 500 quid sort of payment, uh, despite the fact you had staff going in day in, day out, sort of services, putting themselves at sort of risk. Um, and then, you know, uh, they offered sort of a second kind of one-off payment uh, when we started sort of the campaign. And I think more recently, they've offered the first consolidated sort of uh, payment after a year of campaigning. Um, and, um, and it was still only 2.25%. And, and this was all under kind of, you know, this is all because of the pressure that, you know, sort of uh, as kind of, you know, as a, as a union kind of like as, you know, that the workers were kind of putting on management to kind of come to the table. And obviously you get the element of sort of senior management taking credit for, for sort of, you know, for, for, you know, what they'll say is they've, you know, they've, um, uh, they've done this of their own accord or, you know, they're, they're offering this up kind of the goodness of their heart. And it's, um, and it still sort of is, you know, pretty paltry. So even at the last offer of um, 2.25, um, yeah, 2.25%, uh, still a massive real terms pay cut. And, you know, they've they've sort of tried to, you know, each time they've tried to repackage it as like, you know, we're, you know, we've, um, we've tried, you know, we found the money sort of from somewhere and, um, you know, and we, we've heard your concerns. We've, um, you know, we, we hear, you know, we understand it's a cost of living crisis. So, you know, we're going to help you out and it's it's always kind of packaged in that kind of you know that kind of language and i think it just it really i think it's it's probably you know it's it's become quite jarring i think for a lot of like staff members who are sort of seeing these offers just being presented which clearly aren't good enough uh and i think you know that was a you know big thing sort of leading up to the strike as well was that you know we wanted to you know obviously nobody wants to sort of take a strike action as a first resort um but you know when sort of um when senior management just aren't coming to the table you know we're left with no choice and i think it's it's, yeah, just it was definitely on, on what you were um, saying, just in terms of sort of people sort of, we, we definitely get sometimes, I guess, you know, more so from senior management, um, you know, sometimes that argument of like, you know, if we care about the clients, we won't go on strike. Um, uh, and um, uh, and it's, yeah, it's a really disingenuous argument because I think, you know, uh, you know, that the nurses sort of face it as well. Anyone in front of service, I suppose, faces that, 
uh, that kind of attack line. Um, and, you know, the, the problem behind that is that, you know, we're, we're going on strike precisely because um, of, of our service users, right? You know, because we have such a high turnover in the organization where people can't afford to, to work in it, you know, people have to leave, you end up with, um, it can be really destabilizing for clients um, in, in the organization. And it just means sort of it, it disrupts all their kind of recovery. It means it disrupts all the services. And so loads of services have been really supportive on the picket lines and sort of completely understand why we're striking. And I think that's, you know, it just doesn't match up with what senior management is trying to say, which is, you know, if we care about the clients, we won't go on strike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's completely the opposite. But, yeah. Well, I've, I've noticed this with like nonprofits um, that they oftentimes can be some of the worst offenders with how they treat their workers because they always push this line that like, oh, you're here because you care. So that should be the primary thing. You should be caring. You should be, you should be, you know, donating your time and money shouldn't be, shouldn't even be a thing you think about. And they, and they push that. And and a lot of times, at least for me, my experience with nonprofits, at first that did work with me. I was like, that is a really good point. You know, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to so and so forth. Um, but it's, it sounds like they're, they're still using this technique, um, which is extraordinarily exploitative extraordinarily right because you are a human being that also deserves to be compensated for your labor you deserve to especially with this inc- this horrific like cost of living crisis that we're experiencing um you know like you are you have to you have expenses and you deserve to also like have security and actually enjoy your life and so it's it's i find that this is this this tends to be a really gross way that that uh management will end up trying to like you know exploit workers you know and i'm sorry yeah. that you're experiencing that that that's that's disgusting and oh sorry harvey go on no, no i was yeah just gonna i think yeah definitely i think in terms of yeah we, I, I find it we definitely had senior managements you know and andrea as well um you probably had it as well where we've had sort of senior managers come into our teams and sort of say well actually you know you guys are paid rather well uh compared uh. to sort of, uh, the rest of sort of the sector or like you know you guys actually get paid decently and it's and it's really, um, you know, it's it's bizarre because like they're, you know, they're comparing it to sort of a, a you know, a really, you know, chronically like underpaid sector uh, uh-huh. where a lot of people sort of run to the ground. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and so, you know, you're all uh, underpaid, so you're being underpaid <laughs> just as well. Yeah. Like, so it's your problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's really, it's really jarring. And I think you you definitely get, I think, yeah, it's really interesting when you get, you know, you get the argument sometimes of like, oh, you don't go into it for the money, like you're saying, Kira, and um, and. You know, people don't, they do it because they're passionate, but um, but also we need to pay our bills. And you never get that argument, I think, you know, um, used against senior management. So, you know, we have a CEO earning 189K. It's not like the senior sort of executives have to sacrifice any of their pay to go into their roles in the organization. So, yeah. I mean, so, and, and then a lot of excuses that they, they used to, to give us is, um, well, social care was always um, badly paid. Well, make it right. Make a very wrong right because we have to have we have to have skills we need to know how to build rapport with people we need to know how to approach someone that is enduring serious trauma so if we have to have skills to do this pay for our skills pay what we deserve we're not asking you to um get huge salaries like the ceo's salary we're not asking for a 77 percent pay rise after nine years, we're asking for a 10% just to be in line with the inflation. It's, it's, it would be even still, we would still be a 15% worse from the inflation for the last 10 years. So we are not asking for much. We are asking for what is fair and for what we deserve as workers that have skills and that 
deserve recognition for what we do because all the clapping that they did in the pandemic was worth nothing when we cannot meet ends, we cannot pay our bills. We have colleagues of ours going to food banks. It is outrageous that when we actually raise this issue of colleagues of ours going to food banks facing the evictions, which, which is something that we try to avoid for our own clients, their question is, how many members of the staff are going to food banks? Well, just with one is bad enough. You don't need to know how many. Just make things right. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I I can't remember particularly, but I remember earlier this year in um, January, I think it was, or maybe February, uh, it was in the winter sometime, I was uh, showing solidarity with shelter workers here in, in Manchester who were also on strike for exactly the same reasons. St. Mungo's uh, do very similar work to people at shelter. It, it's a homeless charity. And, um, you know, again, that just kind of shows how much of an absurd line management are giving striking workers at St. Mungo's that like, oh, the whole sector's underpaid. Well, guess what? The whole sector is on strike as well. Like, you know, there are other striking workers in the sector. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know if it, I don't know if you know, uh, Andrea, if it was uh, Shelter were with Unite or I don't know if they were with uh, Unison. I think, they, I think they might have been with Unite. Um, but again, it's like, you know, this is, this is something that if you're in the sector, and if you're running a NGO in, in this sector and, and you're like, you know, seeing this stuff happen, like, why would you not go, hmm, you know what? We should prevent disruption to our service if they truly cared. You know, it's one of those, like, they, they put this they put this argument on the workers, right? They say, oh, well, if you truly cared about our service users, you would not go on strike. But the reality is, is that if they truly cared about their service users, then they would pay you better. They would give you benefits they would give you more training etc etc it's exactly like you said um it's that whole thing of like you know if if there is a a service if if there's if there's a sector that has a high turnover of staff then that's probably because they're on low wages it's probably because they have terrible benefits they have no prospects they have nothing to look forward to in, in, in a sector uh in in a in a career in that sector i should say um and you have to think about the service that the service users is going to get from someone like that. If someone knows that they have nothing um, in, in, in terms of support from management from a job like this, then, you know, are they really going to be doing the best that they can to help people who are suffering, who, who need to use this service? So that is something that is just like, it's such a, a, a really, it's just fucked. It's just completely fucked. Um, you know, for want of a better descriptor. Um, now, in terms of like, um, you know, uh, strike action. So you got three weeks. Is it three weeks or four weeks of strike action? Did you say? So four weeks. We are going to start tomorrow. We're starting week three. Right. Okay. Got you. So you've got like another another two weeks after tomorrow. Um, and 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 obviously, it's great to know that the service users have been supporting the strike as well, because obviously they know. Uh, just how important this stuff is because when it's and it's such it's such a joke right because you know you have the management and the ceos and that stuff say like no we're not going to give you any more money what are you talking about um we'll give you peanuts and you'll be happy with that and then you've got the people on the ground who are suffering under the worst material conditions that capitalism have to has to offer and they understand it they get it you know um yeah everything that you're saying is just like 
it should be it should be um good to know for our audience because we're constantly telling them that like people who are under the worst material conditions under capitalism are going to uh, have more solidarity with people who are doing actions like this right you're going to get more support from someone who knows what it's like uh, to to live precariously than to uh, you know than than a, than a fucking ceo you know there are definitely class traitors but yeah, yeah, but this is why it's so frustrating when you see people that are like middle class and they're 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 blaming everything on the poor or their their first complaints when it comes to like their own like financial insecurities that they look to the poor and they complain about how poor people aren't working hard enough or whatever. You have far infinitely more in common with those people than you do these assholes at the top that we're talking about. Like infinitely more. You have so much more in common. Your class interests are aligned with theirs. You're never one big like you're you're never like one month away from becoming a multimillionaire one percenter billionaire right but you are absolutely one month away from becoming homeless you know we're like none of us should ever forget that it's it's very frustrating <laughs> to see how that how so much of the uh propaganda has been you know targeting the misunderstanding of that relationship, you know, to 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 cloud our understanding of class uh, class solidarity and class consciousness. Um, so yeah, it it makes perfect sense that your clients would actually absolutely be like, no, no, hundred no, percent, I'm with you. <laughs> like this makes perfect sense because <laughs> I I I personally understand this very very profoundly. Um, I also wanted to to comment on something that y'all were talking about before when. Uh, upper management is saying like, well, everyone gets paid poorly in this industry. This is always how it's been. Um, oppressive hierarchies will try to insist that a better world is not possible in order to maintain themselves. And then we're just seeing this happen with your description. Like it's just this insistence, this repetition of just saying, well, that's how it always is as if there could never, ever be a better thing. And that's how these oppressive hierarchies just continually you know, justify their own existence when we all know that they should not exist. So um just want to point that out. <laughs> no, well, that that's exactly the point. I think that like, if we go back to the pandemic, like myself, I was a frontline worker. I was working in prisons and in prisons, we couldn't wear a protective PE until November. So between March and November, we were going into work putting our bodies at risk, our lives at risk, because we believe in what we do. But just because we care, just because we believe in what we do, that doesn't mean that we don't have a skill, we don't have to know a lot about housing laws, a lot about benefits, a lot about um, psychology, a lot about trauma. We need to be able to support our clients. We need to be able to build rapport. And our, our clients will understand because what they don't want is that six months that they took to build up rapport with that key worker now is going to go down the drain because that key worker cannot sustain themselves they are going to leave the company and they are going to have to get to know another person to go through the whole trauma again telling them what happened to the life mm. that doesn't work and yeah it only shows how out of touch senior management are they do not understand and they say like yeah yeah i get that um cost of living is something very important for you <laughs> well it should be for you too 
it You're should right. be for you too. Why, why is this like, why is this like a conversation you have it intellectually, cerebrally, like you, this, everyone should be affected by cost of living. Everyone's, everyone should be feeling the, I mean, no one should be feeling the pain of any of this optimally, but like, it is, it, it's a difference of like experiencing it. And it is breathing. It, like you can feel the breath on the back of your neck. You can actually feel it versus this idea that you're, you're clinking your drinks and just talking about it over dinner where you're just completely disconnected from it. It's very clear, but this happens over and over again with like different, different things. Like when you're talking about race with someone who has no concept and like no experience personally with racism, right. Um, about how they interact with these ideas. Like when you're talking about, um, you know, like queer, queer phobia and somebody is not queer and they're talking about it in this intellectual way. It's clear that they actually don't feel any fear. They don't have any real like hands-on experience with these things. Um, they don't, they, and they certainly don't have any empathy for the people that do as well. And it sounds like this is a very similar thing that's happening with, with uh, the senior management. And it's just, it's very par for the course, unfortunately. Mm, I think kind of like, yeah, what you're saying earlier about sort of like kind of, dividing or trying to divide you know sort of um uh, um you know like certainly like staff and like services as well this is a sentiment of like you know of where you know uh, the organization will kind of have their comms and they'll sort of you know tell services they'll be uh you know we had sort of like these these sort of um these picket kind of information or these strike information sheets also around um just before the strike and it was kind of you know just this very sort of uh, just information on you know what to expect or what services can expect from sort of the strike without really kind of engaging you know there's this idea you know, again, of, sort of releasing the comms saying that, you know, if we care about sort of services as well, you know, we won't go on strike and then sort of telling services, you know, um, or trying to sort of make it seem like, you know, there's just that we're going on strike just out of nowhere. Like it's just sort of come out of a, a void. We're just, we're just doing this like wantonly. Um, and then, and then you also get this bizarre situation. So, you know, try and sort of divide, I guess, staff and sort of service users, um, uh, which, you know, clearly doesn't work. You know, just sort of given the kind of solidarity we've sort of seen on the, the picket line. Um, uh, uh, but then and you, you get this bizarre situation where I guess sort of, you know, senior managers like our CEO tries to sort of also, um, uh, you know, try to kind of try to kind of involve themselves uh, and sort of claim to kind of be experienced in the same circumstances. But I'll try to, you know, um, so we had our CEO go on uh, kind of doing the media round saying, oh, we're, we're all being affected by the cost of living crisis. And so also trying, I guess, sort of, you know, paint this sort of false picture, like we're all in this together, but you know, only you guys oh. are the, the rabble rousers kind of all. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's so <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, it's like we are all in this together. Yeah, probably you cannot get organic eggs. Um, we, we just cannot pay our bills. Yeah, right, that's right, that's right, the right. difference between like being in this together. Um, yeah, just um and, and it's it, this is not something that like it is unprecedented from for us to take four weeks. Um, but this is not something that has come up from uh, we didn't understand each other uh, for a month. We've been negotiating, we've gone through the dispute evidence procedures, we've been through acres, we've been through a lot, we've given options, we have made suggestions as employees, we have made suggestions as a union, and all they have said, we don't have the money. If you don't have the money, cut your own pay cut your own pay and pay your workers to stay in the company because having a high turnover means that they have spent over six million pounds in agency staff that don't stay, that come to cover for two, three days and they go. That is not good for the clients that we work with. They need consistency. 
and they don't have it now because of the conditions that they are making us work with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's <clears throat> it's it's quite interesting because just doing a, a little bit of a, a Google uh, and a Twitter s- search about um, St. Mungo's CEO. Um, apparently the CEO, I don't know if, if you mentioned this, if I missed you say this earlier, but um, the C- your CEO does not uh, disclose their, their, their salary, um, which is extremely interesting i wonder why that is i'm sure our audience are completely perplexed as to why that would be embarrassing how much how little they're being paid you know it's so so embarrassing for them how Um, little yeah yeah they're they're just they can't make it you know what i mean they're they're surviving on pot noodles um (laughs) but yeah you know and 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 apparently now this is just according to some stuff on um on twitter from unite housing workers which is i think is um a branch for housing workers and what they've said is uh that saint mungo's um have had ceo pay up 77 percent since 2013 so in 10 years that's three quarters you know it's 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 absolutely absurd um <clears throat> also spend on senior executives is is over 350 percent and this is just according to published accounts uh from saint mungo's and and you know so they're they're exceeding their financial targets and you know all the while workers like you guys are you know you're taking a real terms pay cut um now the guardian have, have done a bit of reporting on this um and you know it's so interesting <laughs> It's so interesting the way that they frame this. Um, they're basically saying that it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, the 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 chief exec Emma Haddad has said uh, our latest offer. We can't afford this pay rise that they're demanding because it will mess with our financial uh, 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 goals and stuff. And it's like, well, we 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 know that the financial targets have been exceeded. We know that all that, like, you know, you've published your this accounts. Is, oh, can I just say that it's, it's whenever this type of language happens, it's immediately like, all right, when it's inflation. I, okay. I know we're talking about cost of living right now and we're not really doing justice to um, exactly what cost of an increase in cost of living is, but to be clear, an increase in cost of living is not something that is like, part of the weather, right? It's not something that just divinely occurred. It's a decision. It's a purposeful decision to exploit the working class more and more and more every year, right? This is a a policy-based decision. This is a corporation-based decision. This is a capitalism-driven thing that doesn't have to exist. So when I see like these, the senior management being like, well, it's going to interfere with the financial goals. You see the financial goals will not be met. It's like the you make the goals though. Like you're you're the people that are making yeah. the goals. Like this isn't something that it's not like the 10 commandments or something. It's not like God just, just etched them into stone. Yeah. You are a bunch of people that are being paid exorbitant amounts of money to do nothing are now, sorry, I'm, I'm a little upset right now, <laughs> are like, are, are setting these very goals. And you're like, look, according to me, I have to be paid more. You understand we can't interfere with me and what I want to be paid. That's what a financial goal. That's what these financial goals are. Yeah. And it's yeah. just wonderful. Have they, have out. they, have they tried having less, um, you know, absurdly unobtainable financial goals? That's what I would like to ask them. And then of course there's no one talks about your financial goals, the goal to, you know, not be hungry, the goal to have a roof over your head. Like these are much more concrete goals that that if they are not met will there will be dire life-threatening circumstances and you would think that people that are 
at the top of a charity like this would have some understanding of such things, but alas. I think that if we add that back in 2011, um, when I joined the company, we were going through something that it was called a campaign for fit for the future. Um, so when I started working in San Mangos, we had 28 days annual leave. And after five uh, years, we would have 30 days annual leave. And then we would work 35 hours a week. With fit for the future, we had to take another pay cut, um, not in salary, but we had to work two, two and a half hours more a, a week. So we are now working 37.5 hours and we lost um, three annual leave days. So new starters would start on 25 days annual leave and after five days, they would have 28 days annual leave. So we already have given, we already have compromise with them and given our time for free. And, and if I speak to any of my colleagues in my team, a lot of them are doing overtime. They never claim it. They never ask for it. If we started claiming our overtime, there are weeks that I do more than 45 hours to actually meet all the requests for my job to make sure that one of my clients is not going homeless when they leave the, the prison. So, you know, it, it, it is absurd to say that we, we are not caring, that we haven't compromised. It's just a point where we are actually saying, look, we are going to become clients if you don't do anything. You are not understanding what we're saying to you. And at, at times I, I really question myself, am I speaking English? Am I speaking another language? And that's why you're not understanding. Like, you, you cannot um, take that into consideration. Like, the, the, the management, the senior management has grown from being a, a team of seven to be a team of 32 for, for a, a charity that is like 1,600 employees counting with the locums. Like, permanent staff, we are 1,300 employees. So why we need like to be working as a corporation? We're not a corporation, we're a charity. Why do you don't put the focus on the staff? Why don't you put the focus on the front line? Before we used to have courses that were at, we were getting awards for them, we were getting an MBQ or a level three or a level four. Those ones, there has been years since we don't have any of that. And that is just to make us less skilled so they can justify to pay us less. That's a really important point, I think, in terms of like uh, like this or the, the, the kind of ballooning of management, I guess, or since uh, like I think it's since 2013, it's gone up. So uh, as Andrea said, from like seven to, to 32. So I think it's about like a 320 percent sort of increase in the number of managers. And I think it, it tells you exactly kind of the. You know, kind of like you said, sort of like setting their own goals and they're marking their own homework. You've had this ballooning sort of management, and and you know, at the same time, you've had so like recently, you've had uh, a role that was trying to uh, that they're trying to introduce called a director of transformation. Nobody really is clear on what they do, but they're going to be paid 130,000 pounds. And then you, at the same time, you have you know, frontline services like our, our client counselling service, LifeWorks, a really important service being cut. Um, you have our client move-on service being cut. And so you just see this sort of progressive sort of like erosion and sort of cutting of frontline services and a ballooning of management and 
you know, sort of these more, you know, sort of, a, of the kind of, you know, I guess, sort of central kind of bureaucracy uh, in sort of like Mungers. And it is, yeah, I think that, that it's a kind of clear, yeah, clear kind of trajectory of, sort of where they're trying to take the organisation. Um, but yeah. Mm, this is infuriating. I think it's also what Andrew was saying before about um, how you feel like sometimes you're not speaking English, you know? Um, it's important to note that this is not something that people with different class interests who have, are are set on maintaining those class interests are going to be discoursed out of or debated out of. Their class interests are definitively different than ours. They are their class interests involve their oppressing oppression of us, right? Their class interests involve exploitation of the working class. It involves maintaining, taking more and more and more every single day and giving less and less and less as much as possible. So like in terms of like talk, I, I'm saying this not to not to you, Andrea, not to you, Harvey, but to just to our audience, because there there is this idea that like you simply need to just rhetoric or debate or discussion out of this. And this isn't like a misunderstanding. <laughs> this is a this is a a a like when you're increasing the number, the amount of senior management, paying them exorbitant amounts of money. And then you're also decreasing the workforce and making them work more time for less with less sick with less like days that leave. This is not like an accident, right? This is a deliberate decision to make that just that 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 is not to be it can't be debated, you know? And so I'm so sorry that you're dealing with that much frustration. I mean, it's as much as it's expected, it's still disgusting and dehumanizing and it absolutely should not happen, you know? I think it's sort of, yeah, kind of encouraging, though, that we, you know, we, we're kind of fortunate, I guess, in the sense that within St. Mungo's, um, you know, we, we've, we've got a relatively sort of strong kind of like, you know, um, you know, sort of union membership compared to some other organisations as well. Um, and, you know, it definitely sort of took inspiration from Shelter, you know, sort of inspiration from uh, other strikes as well, like the nurses strikes, um, you know, um, like um, junior doctor strikes and obviously, you know, strikes across the board like RMT, etc. And I think, yeah, we are sort of at least quite fortunate that, you know, yes, we have sort of ballooning management and we have a kind of increasingly kind of corporatized sort of, you know, uh, charity. Um, uh, but we're, you know, we are, it is kind of the frontline workers, I guess, that make the organization at least. There is sort of a, you know, we've we've grown like, you know, um, as Andre like mentioned earlier, like we've sort of like, we've grown in like membership over sort of like the past sort of, you know, particularly over the past few months. And I think there's a real kind of solidarity kind of being built, um, you know, sort of on the picket lines and during the strike, which sort of, I think, you know, will kind of, um, even sort of after, you know, um, you know, once we've got kind of a, a, a fair kind of payoff and after the strike, you know, we'll sort of ensure that we kind of make sure the organisation doesn't doesn't just work in sort of the interest of, you know, works in the interest of its frontline workers and its sort of service users, not just sort of where senior managers want to take it, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of these organisations should be worker run, worker led, right? And we're seeing the, the the what happens when that's not the case. It's absolutely at the the detriment of both the workers and in this case, the clients as well. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one thing we've been, we've like, we've um, noticed, I guess, sort of on the, the board as well, um, uh, you know, we've, so one thing, you know, next week we'll be doing sort of more, um, you know, sort of uh, looking to kind of put a, 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 a bit more focus on kind of the board and who the trustees that comprise it. And I think it's it's really interesting, uh, you know, sort of looking at kind of the, the kind of sort of people that do sort of comprise our sort of, you know, our board of trustees, where you have people from, you know, sort of backgrounds in, you know, you have someone who works at uh, Linklaters, you know, backgrounds in sort of finance or, 
um, that, you know, backgrounds, uh, one person who works in a think tank, um, nobody really was sort of like any kind of experience in the sector. Um, and it's sort of hard to identify why they would be on the board, whereas at one point, or, you know, at least I'm told by, you know, sort of reps, and you know, Andrea, you probably know a bit more about this as well, being the organisation longer, but, you know, how the board used to be comprised, I think a greater mix of workers, you might have, you know, sort of from different sectors, you know, uh, kind of difference of views, just not all the kind of same, maybe sort of, you know, um, cast a person from like a corporate background, you know, it's sort of, yeah. Frustrating. So during this strike, it's been week three, you said, um, how are y'all doing? Like, how are y'all surviving through this? Are there, are, um, is there like a strike fund that y'all organized or like how, and also like, how are you doing just generally speaking? <laughs> how are you feeling? <laughs> um, so what uh, we have, we are lucky to have a very healthy membership and a very healthy union. So um, the union um, give us uh, 70 pounds a day um, during the strike. So it's about 350 pounds a week. Um, some of our workers are earning more now that they're in strike than um, working, uh, which says a lot. Um, and then we have set up a GoFundMe um, for the hardship fund because there will be a lot of people that will not be able to meet ends on £70 a day. Um, and we've been having loads of solidarity from other union branches, other unions, other groups um, like Sisters and Cat, for example. Um, they have been given um, a lot of money to support us. Um, and I think that in terms of society, a lot of uh, parts of the society are with us and, and they are supporting us. Um, I think that it's quite um, nice to read the GoFundMe and see the donations where they say, like, we're so sorry that it has come to this. Um, you have all our support. Keep, keep tight. You, you will win this. Um, I think that it's quite important to to try to keep positive um, during the strike and and um, just think of the very next move um, because we we need to win this because it's not only about us or about Samangos it's about the future homelessness sector how we are going to want that to to be in the next few years. Yeah, we've. I think we've managed to kind of keep the energy momentum going. You know, we've sort of, uh, you know, it's. I think, yeah, it's been obviously. Uh, it's not easy for for a lot of people going on strike, particularly like the lowest earners in the organisations and like uh, in the organisation. Anyone with like caring responsibilities, um, you know, it's still. We're lucky that I suppose we're part of a large union. We get strike pay, um, and you know, we've got a hardship fund. We're, we're you know, we're getting donations from uh, a lot of different groups. You know, different branches. Um, uh, and um, you know, just sort of individual donations as well, and it's so amazing to see that kind of uh, that kind of support and have sort of the public on our side. But but it's been nice, yeah. We sort of I think you know kept the energy sort of going on the pickets, and it's just been really kind of heartening having you know sort of uh, building, yeah, sort of just meeting different people at rallies on the pickets, um, and you know um, uh, you know try yeah keeping kind of spirits up as well. I think we we tried to sort of you know um, uh, do some like sort of things like picket of the day as well, sort of trying to kind of uh, you know we've had sort of like some picket songs and like. You know poems dances and i think it's just uh keeps all the energy going as well and sort of you know uh kind of you know remind ourselves that yes sort of yeah we're on strike but also you know we can you know we can sort of you know still have fun and be on strike as well i guess mm -hmm. you know, sort of, um, um, i love that that's great yeah i mean you see so much of like the uh the capitalist propaganda to convince you that strikes don't work 
that people that strike or, you know, what try to paint the personalities of people that strike as being, you know, bitter or greedy or whatever. And then like same type of thing about unions. I mean, especially in America, America is like so anti-union, you know, um, but it's certainly not exclusive to America. Um, but it, so to, to what you're doing is like, anti-propaganda, I guess. Propaganda for, for, and I don't mean propaganda in the bad way, by the way. Propaganda is like a, a neutral term. It's just that typically when we're dealing with it, we're dealing with it from like these huge oppressive institutions, but like propagandizing uh, what you're doing, you know, like advertising what you're doing, I think is, is, is great. And what you're doing when you're having fun and enjoying yourselves and keeping the energy up, I think it's, it's, it's really awesome because it's providing that different perspective and it's helping to, uh, it's provided a really necessary needed perspective that, hey, it's actually like awesome to do this. It doesn't also it, striking and unionizing. It doesn't have to be this like depressing, uh, you know, dreary thing. It can actually be really cool and really like a coming together of a bunch of people with like very much aligned interests and like being powerful, having power, um, which I, I love. You love to see it. You know, it's fantastic. And. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I was going to say that un, unlikely um, a lot of senior management and people would say that like union are the troublemakers of the company. Actually, union members are the ones that care for the company and care for the clients. And that's why they they go out and fight for the company, because it's, it's not only about caring for my work and my clients, it's about caring for the survival of my company, survival of what we are actually um, delivering, you know, our ethos, our moral compass, our ethics is all. And that is what union members are doing. They are fighting for those ethos. They are fighting for the ethics and the mission. So, yeah, it's, it's not about troublemakers. It's about people that care. Yeah. And I I think kind of, yeah, sort of definitely, yeah, senior manager, like, will sort of try to, you know, particularly with, like, the notice they were releasing before, kind of try to kind of big sort of, you know, pick it up to kind of be this, you know, potentially intimidating experience or with, you know, sort of the, they'll have kind of the do's and don'ts that they put in services of being like, you know, um, you know, um, you know, there should only be six on the picket and they, you know, they shouldn't be sort of, you know, there's like the sort of trying to kind of big up to be this sort of, yeah, this potentially intimidating experience. And I think sometimes that, that kind of feeds through to, to work as well, I think you know. To, like personally, it's been it's been mine. It's the first truck I've been on, um, and for a lot of workers as well in St. Mungo's. And I think it's been amazing, sort of where we've kind of, you know, you have this idea maybe of a picket line, and this idea kind of perhaps of you know that you've got from uh, you know um, what we're kind of you know like you said, what we're told by yeah senior managers sometimes in you know kind of corporate media as well, sort of what a picket looks like. Um, and in reality, it's just you're you're there, you're having a bit of fun, you're trying to persuade your colleagues not to cross the picket line. You know, you're holding up a, a honk for a fair pay sign, you know, to get sort of passing vehicles uh, to give you a bit of support. Um, and yeah, just sort of making a bit of noise with some movie zellers and a bit of music. But it's, it's yeah, it's a really, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a really nice experience. And I think a lot of people who are sort of, you know, where maybe sort of a reluctance sort of come out on a picket or pick their own services are sort of found on the first day, like actually that's, you know, it was nothing compared to sort of what I thought it was going to be, or, you know, it was much you know, uh, a much more of a, yeah, much better experience than I kind of had had in mind, I guess, you know, so mm, yeah. It's been that's awesome. Good. I love that. Yeah. What I want to know actually is, have you received any sort of like, I, I know that your unions existed for a while. And so this, this might not 
as much apply. And this is the power of unions chat. Um, they, they, they can help prevent this from happening, but has management threatened you at all? Um, they, they are not able to threaten us because we have a recognition agreement. Um, so legally they are not bound, but they have tried to, um, get to know who was going to go on strike. Um, they have been bullying some of our colleagues by texting them, it's nine o'clock and you're not here. I'm following the procedure. If you're not replying to me, I'm going to call your, your next of kin. That is bullying. That is bullying. That is trying to prevent a person to use their legal right to strike. And um, that is something that has been happening and has been reported to us. And that is totally unwanted, unwanted behavior um, because legally we're not under any obligation to let our employer whether we're going to take a strike action or not. Fortunately, it hasn't been, it doesn't seem like it's been kind of like a directive from above, but there definitely has been a couple of instances, uh, yeah, sort of that kind of message of this kind of false pretense of concern where, uh, you know, we've had, and it's the same, I think it's like the same template of message where they've just sort of said, you know, um, uh, we're, um, uh, please um, send a message, otherwise we'll have to, if you don't call by midday today, we'll have to call your next of kin um, um, because, you know, um, we have to follow a procedure and, um, or, or just tell us if you're on strike um, so we know. And it's, it's a really, it's really transparent what they're trying to do and sort of trying to figure out if, you know, who's on strike and it's just really dressed up and it's really full of pretense of concern and sort of, oh, we're worried about you, but it's really obvious what they're trying to do. And it's, yeah, it's something that we've kind of, yeah, brought up with, uh, we sort of like raised uh, in like Unite um, as well, like with, you know, sort of Unite's like legal department as well. But I mean, yeah, just sort of, you know, there, there has been, fortunately it hasn't been kind of, you know, it hasn't been sort of across the board, but there's definitely been individual instances of sort of uh, intimidation, I guess. And yeah. Oh, and wow. What is the technique of, because uh, I don't, I don't think we have this or, I'm not as familiar with it um, in the U.S. at least. When an employer is threatening to call your next of kin, what does that mean exactly? They're going to call your 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 kids and then say what? What is, what is the plan? So when when so usually what we have on the procedure is like in normal work time. If um, some of our colleagues don't show up, me as a manager myself. Um, if they don't reply my messages and I don't know that they are on annual leave or off sick, I would try to contact them first. And then if they don't reply, I will contact the next of kin. But that would be on a normal working day where there is not being a notice to uh, take strike action. Um, what in my team was done during like for the strike was whoever is coming to work, please email um, your manager or email the regional head or email the director um, to let them know that you're in um, but no one would be asked are you striking or not because they know that that is completely illegal for for them to ask yeah I think um, yeah it, it's usually yeah it's much more like you know usually call sort of next to kin as well if you know we might need uh, call next to kin for services but they've been you know missing or something like that but it's a really like during the struggle, there's no, you know, there's no, um, uh, there's no sort of procedure sort of to, to have to, to call your next of kin. If you do it, is clearly, you know, um, uh, it's clearly sort of, yeah, as a as a sort of method of intimidation. It's yeah, completely sort of, um, yeah, sort of uh, completely wrong. Um, and we, but we've we've also sort of, I guess, had 
you know, it seems like in, in person has been, you know, sort of anecdotally where we've sometimes had sort of managers sort of crossing, pretending, you know, um, you know, sort of individual cases where it's sort of seen as kind of like being uh, maybe um, slightly like intimidatory sort of like behavior just where, um, uh, you know, I was sort of on a, a picket the other day and sort of trying to talk to someone that kind of seemed that, you know, sort of one of the managers was sort of standing as always sort of trying to sort of observe sort of the conversation. I think you do get sometimes, uh, you know, slightly kind of, um, uh, yeah, it can feel sort of a bit intimidatory, even if it's sort of nothing kind of overt that maybe you can sort of prove. But I think, yeah, there's definitely sort of individual examples and, you know, managers sort of crossing, I've heard, and sort of saying, oh, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to beat me up if I cross the picket. And it's, it's really like passive aggressive sort of comments, I guess, and that sort of stuff. You know, <laughs> oh, my there. God. So it's, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah, a little tragic um, when you get that, I think, from, from yeah, sort of senior managers. But yeah. Wow. I feel like uh, for the next of kin thing, um... I would imagine that that's kind of uh, for America and maybe that'd be like the emergency contacts. Maybe that's what the equivalent is in America, perhaps. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm, okay. So it would be like, if something happens to you, we will call your family or like your husband, your partner, whatever. But yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, we, we had uh, yeah one member where uh, one member who received a call uh, to their home phone, I think, and then sort of received a call the next day um, sort of asking uh, where they were, um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's really yeah, sort of like in, a, in an emergency. Um, if you haven't still seen someone today, is out of you know genuine concern, if, you know the procedure. But during strike action, it's just completely unfounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're a little early for questions, but I might as well dig into some of them right now. Um, let's see here. How much? Oh yeah, no. Uh, some of these have already been covered. So uh, one of the questions is from Mr. Noopsa. How much does senior management get paid to betray the working class? We already covered that. So we're talking like one hundred fifty, one hundred eighty thousand dollars, or sorry, sorry, pounds a year. Is that about right? So um, in terms of like the um, senior management are paid between a hundred thousand and hundred and thirty thousand, as far as we know, because they, they have created a new job called the director of transformation at the 130,000 pounds um, but they might be directors that they are earning more and the CEO pay um, back in 2013 well 2013-14 it was 107 pounds 107,000 pounds and the last accounts published were over 189,000. Uh, however, it's never, it's, it's not anymore public. The the pay of the CEO is being hidden from the accounts. And um, what they have put in place is to say that the board of trustees uh, fixed the salary of the CEO according to the median market. If we look at the median market of the charity of our size, more or less is 193,000, um, which is outrageous when the prime minister is earning around 82,000 uh, a year. And when you ask this question to the CEO, the CEO replies to you, well, yeah, my salary is high, but um, it's high because, um, you know, as the company grows, the risks for the company are, are bigger. So to me, the question is, I didn't know that your job is more risky than leading and ruling a country. But also, are you actually diminishing the fact that our teams are smaller 
and we are actually having to deal with more clients. Is that not enduring more risks for ourselves too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the line and- about risk really, really boils my blood. This is a very cap- yeah. co- this is a very classic like capitalist myth that is perpetuated to like shut workers up. The idea that that business owners or um, like like uh, you know upper like senior management are the actual risk takers. They take so much risk. What risk? Don't ask, you know, it's just where there's risk. There's risk, hand wave risk. And so they are justified in taking as much money as they want from the workers. Um, Well, I imagine that maybe there is an element of risk. And that element of risk that they're talking about is being investigated for things like fraud, tax (laughs) dodging, um, and all these kinds of things. Um, You know, I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone in the management of uh, St. Mungo's, but you have to ask if someone immediately jumps to risk who is squirreling away 150K a year for a potential scenario where maybe they aren't earning that amount of money ever again in their life because they're not going to be appointed as a CEO of another company due to like fraud allocations or whatever. Um, You know, you have to ask yourself why they've immediately jumped to that kind of thing, right? Um, But yeah, no, I agree with you. Like it is, even if that's not the case, it's it's just such a, a fuck you to the workers. You know, think about the risks that workers have to go through. Think about the risks that everyone has to go through. Like, um, you know, I'm sure like Andrea, like, you know, working with people in in prison can be risky. You know what I mean? Like we have, we, you know, here at Red Planet, we expressly show solidarity with prisoners. But, uh, you know, it would be. Uh, uh, completely a lie to say that there isn't a risk associated with with uh, you know engaging with prisoners. So you but know, also, also what Andrea was saying before with that continuity, there's a risk to the clients as well. So in this yes. case with the prisoners, uh, if you're if the the caseworker is you know c- cannot remain in the company because they just cannot sustain themselves on such shit pay, then you're going to have to get somebody new who has to have to go have that prisoner talk about all their trauma once again, tell their whole life story, try to build a relationship just to have that person yoinked again and then replace. So there's plenty of harm and risk that, that that is occurring to everyone except for the upper management who claims risk as the reason that they need to be paid so much. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely... Um... It is uh, definitely kind of a mystery when you sort of, you know, the, of, I suppose, try to justify that the, the risk they take on is somehow, you know, 10 times more or, or you know, it means they get 10 times more uh, sort of re- remunerated than the lowest sort of paid work in the organisation as if they don't take on any risk in like frontline services. And I think we uh, we kind of see it like in, the, you know, in our, uh, how much sort of the, the pay scales are, are sort of, um, in like pay sort of evaluations for certain roles, you know, you will get uh, this, um, uh, you know the emotional kind of you know, you get a much sort of lower kind of amount of points uh, sort of awarded to frontline roles which have uh, an emotional and physical toll uh, you know and because of that sort of you know because of the um, you know it's, it's sort of yeah kind of a, a risk to I guess your well-being in these sort of frontline services and you get such a, a sort of low portion um, of, of value kind of um, put towards that when they're sort of judging how much that role gets paid compared to you know um, uh, compared to sort of more senior roles where you know, if, um, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're handling like a, a, you know, a big, you know, like a, a big budget, or if you're handling sort of, um, uh, if you're line managing quite a few people, and that's not to say there's not responsibilities involved in these roles, because, you know, you know, uh, yeah, obviously I, I do think like, you know, there is, there's responsibilities sort of like managerial roles as well, but, 
you know, I think uh, for our CEO to sort of say that somehow their responsibility is sort of, yeah, worth 10 times the amount that and for example myself that I have gone through <clears throat> bidding and tendering and and writing uh, projects etc um, what I think about is just like in the prison that I started initially we were a team of three now there is only one person doing the same job that we used to do with more uh, admin work to do in addition to what we were used to do um, for the same salary, um, which is, is just is just crazy because mm -hmm. according to our CEO, if we have to do more work, if we have to take more risk, we should get more money. But <laughs> that only applies to her. Yeah, yeah, that basically. doesn't apply to, no, yeah, exactly. Um, but also, like, if, if we think about... Um, um, because, for example, recently the mayor of London gave two million pounds for um, um, rough sleepers, and you would say, like, well, that that would be a, a boost for our salaries, right? Um, but no, because actually, um, um, so back in 2021, um, the um, see, well, the senior management, um, the exec of Samangos, decided to get rid of a a team that was called property services uh, that were usually uh, getting maintenance to our buildings and they were uh, running reports on um, the, how the building states were, uh, the, the repairs, etc. They got rid of them to um, make cheaper um, the central services cost. Um, so you would say, all right, so they, they, they're trying to save money on central services, fine. Um, but then, um, again, this February, we, we get to know that all our contracts need to now change from 14% um, um, budget to central services to 16% uh, budget to central services. And, and, and you cannot help to... To not wonder why why we're getting rid of employees, why we're making redundant people, if if we if it was to reduce costs, but now we have to increase them if our salary has not increased. Um, there has been very poor decisions about systems um, to use, for example, like the rent system. There has been losses in there. There has been poor decisions in terms of. Uh, bidding into tenders that of, of services that we were um, working for years and years and years, and and it seems that there has been no consequences for those people making those poor decisions. Um, just saying, well, yeah, there are things that happen. Well, no, because if I did actually take a poor decision that did affect my job, I would be out of the job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, it's like this, like weather thing you know it's, it's, it's just like just, it's just a they and us uh thing um, uh, uh. you definitely yeah uh, i think you you probably get quite a, maybe a few people sort of failing upwards and you get like the i think that the rent system is a really good uh you know sort of um case in point i think you had you know we had the previous um the previous sort of uh senior i think sort of direct kind of overseeing that was literally in the role for a very short period of time put in place this uh, new rent system which cost so much uh, was a, you know, a complete flop um, and uh, and now sort of you know they're kind of trying to sort of cover their tracks a bit and I think they're reintroducing a previous rent system we used to have so it's just been a massive waste of money and you know that kind of money 
is of you know money that obviously could have gone towards sort of a decent pay rise. You know, um, obviously there's there's a lot of like you know I think there's we we have our, our head office, uh, this massive corporate kind of head office in Thomas More Square. You know, um, and um, you know it's we're paying sort of a, the organisation's paying like a million quid a year for it. Um, you know, and it's it's something that could be obviously downsized, particularly with people working from home. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's so there's, there's a lot of like you know um, we spend like a fortune in sort of contractors on on agency workers, yet alone agency workers during the strike. Um, obviously, where you know where um, where management have been hiring sort of scab labour to you know sort of perhaps sort of, uh, in case we've had three agency workers to one full time staff. Um, and so all this money that they're spending is just money that could have gone towards actually kind of paying their staff, mm. you know, um, uh, where they sort of just, you know, um, just kind of squandered it elsewhere. Um, and, you know, and yeah, it's, I think they've just tried to kind of double down as opposed mm-hmm. to being like, well, sorry, actually, guys, we've, mm-hmm. we've messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It is it is such a <clears throat> damning indictment of, um, you know, capital, neoliberal capitalism in that there is a homeless charity that has a massive headquarters you know huge building worth a million pound in rent every year um and all the jobs that are done there as you said probably be done working from home um but because of this bizarre hyper real reality that we live in um i'm just sort of paraphrasing a bit of foucault here i've not really read the guy but i know that he not sorry not foucault uh baudrillard um, you know, this sort of like hyper real, like, oh no, we must work in offices. We must work in offices because that's normal. That's what's real. Um, but in reality, we know that we could do things completely different. Um, and you know what you could use that building for? Well, I don't know. You could probably house a bunch of people in that building. Just a thought. Um, you know, so it's just kind of one, one of those, like, it, it, it re- this really is like such a, a bastardization of, of, the human experience and like how we look at things and um you know the very reality that like you know there are ceos in this in this charity that are giving themselves so much money and and, and again like the even you know the fact the fact that they've given you these excuses as like oh well the business is growing and there are more risks to the business they don't even look at it as a charity they look at it as a business because it's it's when it grows the opportunity is there for them to extract more wealth from the workers right to extract more wealth from from the people and this is a charity this is a charity it says it all when workers are are uh not being paid adequate wages that they have to you know apply for benefits in order to exist and also there's less and less of them being tasked with more and more work while the uh senior management increases like i think it says everything it needs to be said Mm -hmm. yeah i think we yeah, we definitely sort of see it kind of um, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, you, you see a real difference in tone in their kind of, in their publicly available sort of financial accounts when they're talking mm. about, you know, kind of their, their reserves as well. So one thing we've tried to highlight is that, you know, um, uh, the fact they've, you know, they, they um, the board of trustees set their kind of reserves between 14 to 80 million pounds a few years ago. They've been, you know, above sort of 20 million pounds for the past sort of five years. They're currently at 22 million pounds. So well above sort of their you know their their kind of the reserves they set themselves or the upper end of the reserves they set themselves and the same you know the same their kind of unrestricted reserves as well they're at the top end and you see this really you know the tone in their kind of financial accounts is like oh we're not we're not doing too badly and you know there's also in the previous one that actually we we spent less on stuff uh, than we actually thought we did so we're actually doing okay um and then you know between kind of what they'll communicate to staff it's like oh sorry guys we just don't have the money <laughs> so it's a real yeah there's always a real big uh 
a real big difference in tone, a very convenient, you know, difference in, in communication uh, between what they tell, kind of, you know, uh, yeah, what I kind of publicly, what I put in these reports and what I kind of let staff know when we're asking for a high pay. Hey, uh, gosh. And um, so it's um, it's really interesting as well because you know there there are so many layers to this. We've talked, we've spoken a lot about like you know the hypocrisy of the management. Um, we've spoken a lot about you know the obvious stuff that you know we talk about every time we have striking workers on. We talk about the obvious stuff like the CEOs are lying. It's it's all bollocks. You know they're just wanting to pay themselves a, a higher wage. Um, but I think like a really um, important thing for everybody listening and everybody watching um, will be to tell us how you all decided to not not how you decided because obviously you decided to get involved because things were rubbish yous are quite lucky because like you said andrea you got the um unite presence in um uh, saint mungo's already for years right but like for example so harvey i i assume you're a new member yeah so i joined uh near the end of sort of 2021 um okay yeah. and and how did you how what was the like obviously the tipping point is going to be the pay and stuff like that like i guess i guess the the big thing would be like how did you know it was unite that the people you should go to and um what was the sort of process like were you already radicalized to you know support unions and union action or is this like a completely new thing for you um i don't know if do you want to go first um i think for for me it was um I'd say probably a relatively sort of new uh, sort of thing for me. I, I like I think um, prior, um, so I, I wasn't working sort of the sector before. It was my first sort of job um, in um, uh, in sort of like the, the charity sort of sector and uh, and in sort of yeah, a kind of homelessness uh, organisation as well. And so um, you know I think coming from I came from uh, the private sector um, uh, before and sort of coming sort of St Mungo's. I think it, it probably coincided with a. You know, sort of a period where um, maybe it's sort of become, um, yeah, slightly more political. But when I sort of went into St. Mungo's as well, I think, you know, I think it was a really politicising experience, sort of talking to kind of other staff members as well. Um, and you're, you know, you're you're uh, talking, sort of sharing, um, uh, you're sort of hearing from like, you know, staff members who have been in the organisation for far longer as well, um, you know, um, who have, you know, been at the brunt of sort of, you know, again, year on year all terms pay cuts. I, th I think that, that you know it can probably be quite a politicising experience in itself as well, and it's sort of really you know I think it's really um uh, when yeah you know, I became so I became sort of a um, I joined sort of Unite in my first service. It was the, the choice was pretty easy because I guess Unite was the biggest union in the workplace as well. Um, but yeah, sort of became a member and then sort of decided to become a, a rep sort of after my probation period. Um, just because yeah, I really wanted to sort of get involved. Um, I thought you know there was a because of my first job in the charity sector, I think I came in probably quite naively, maybe like a lot of people sort of thinking, oh, you know, it's a charity, it's, you know, it's doing good things. Um, and, you know, and it is, you know, that's not so that I think it's the frontline workers are doing great things. And, you know, my colleagues as well, uh, you know, all, again, they make the organisation. But I think maybe, you know, I didn't quite realise when it went in, it's of the kind of, yeah, that kind of um, the, you know, again, the corporate side of sort of charities that you, you do get, which is reflected in sort of senior management pay, um, and I think you, you become more exposed to, I guess, sort of when you're you're working there and start to think actually, you know, there's you know uh, charities. I think face the problems a lot of, or face the same problems a lot of, you know, uh, of a lot of sort of uh, organisations in like the private sector. They're not really, sort of, you know, any different. Um, you know, even if again it's the workers that really sort of are, are doing sort of the, you know, the work and sort of make it a charity. I guess. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, this actually leads us, I know we're I'm being a little unorthodox with the format today, but uh, I feel like what you're saying organically leads into one of our questions um, from Agent Hedge Piggle, 
Um, um, they ask, are there any early signs you've seen of a charity exploiting their workers? Uh, the charity I work for is thankfully working with our union as it agreed to adjust pay recently. Is there anything I can keep an eye out for? I think this applies both for people who are looking to work for these organizations, but also uh, for people who are looking to contribute to them. So is there anything that y'all could suggest? Is that like in terms of like, uh, like, um, sorry, just, is that in terms of like donating or something? Yeah, sorry. Can you just I think, I think, I think it's for both. I think, um, right. for either I, working or for donating, I suppose. I would, I would say like in terms of working, I think, to be honest, I think in any organization, any charity you're going to, they're going to face similar issues. I have a friend that works in water aid, similar sort of, you know, maybe not as, as a gaping a, dis a disparity between, you know, sort of pay, but again, you know, there's real examples, you know, we, um, in other charities as well, they're faced with sort of similar kind of like, you know, um, similar sort of issues where you can get really, um, you know, anti-new management, uh, massive sort of pay disparities, um, you know, sort of um, uh, real kind of like issues, particularly like where that kind of like, you know, that, you know, there's that kind of like emotional blackmail and sort of this, this, this idea of, you know, you're not going to it for the pay is constantly weaponized against you. And so I'd say in any charity you go to, you know, there's, I don't think there's maybe, maybe I'm wrong, there's probably maybe better charities, but I'd say in any charity you go to just, you know, join your union, collectivize your workplace and just sort of make sure, you know, uh, that charity doesn't become sort of more corporatized and, you know, sort of, and, you know, frontline workers just, you know, sort of run to the ground. I think in terms of donating, I would recommend sort of donating to smaller kind of more, um, you know, sort of more local charities where, you know, perhaps more grassroots, you know, within your area, um, uh, you know, where it's a bit more accountable where the money's going. Um, uh, you know, where you know, sort of, again, it's probably going directly to, you know, to, to what that sort of charity's trying to do. So I, I would say, you know, donate to sort of like perhaps your community groups, your local sort of charities, as opposed to sort of massive charities where that, that money kind of seems to get kind of lost quite quickly. And and in all likelihood, you just don't know, it's just going to be sort of squandered on sort of a, a rent system that might work or just go to a, the CEO's pay packet. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know, yeah, what you'd, what you'd say to Andrea. Um, yeah, I'm quite in agreement. I think that, like, um, one of the things that is particular for Samangos is is that like we have a, a history of being unionized and and um, and one of the things that um, we say to everyone is is like yes you you have to pay your subs for the union but that means that you will get better terms and conditions to work um, at there I would say that if you want to work in a in a charity by all means just do it if you have the skill and you want to care for people yeah but like you will also face sometimes like bad pay and and um, having the tools and having the a union behind you that it will support you uh, is, is essential and in terms of donations um in terms of uh, some mangoes you can donate to some mangoes and say i would like you to spend my donation into um, this project or this other project. So recently, uh, one of the projects that they have got rid of was LifeWorks, where uh, a bunch of psychotherapists would um, support clients with trauma um, because they they were not making any money of it, and it was fully uh, funded by fundraising money. So people were giving money. To that particular project, um, but they 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 decided to get rid of it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. On yeah, I think that's kind of coincided with just before the trial. Actually, there was sort of a, a round of redundancies the um, uh, St. Mungus are making, and it was yeah, particularly that that kind of um, uh, 
their their argument was, you know, essentially these are sort of these aren't money making services. You know, these are the most some of the most important services, client facing services um, that they were kind of you know trying to get rid of. Um, uh, you know, under the argument and, and, uh, that you know they're they're not going to make sort of the, the charity money. Then sort of kind of putting that more towards sort of the fundraising department. You know, the majority of Mungo's money's come from you know sort of council contracts. Um, it's not you know it's not fundraising. Um, uh, but I mean the yeah the, the fact they've yeah they've tried to I think um, yeah it's the, the fact they've tried to um, I think yeah it's it says it all when it's sort of the fact they've tr tried to kind of uh, just yeah cut really important services uh, and that, where they you know they they say kind of they um, uh, where they can't afford it and like I said you, you just see this you know this um, the tone in their financial accounts the tone in their public available financial accounts is very very different I guess yeah. Mm -hmm. That actually and, kind um, of, uh, I, oh, I, sorry, Kira, I just wanted to go back to my um, <clears throat> question because I think Andrea wanted to weigh in on this about, um, you know, what, what kind of radicalized you into, um, you know, unite work and stuff like that. I, was I right in thinking that? Uh, yeah, well, um, I don't mind. Uh, I am <laughs> a sociologist by uh, um, degree. I, I did sociologist. Um, I I come from a family of unionists. Uh, my dad used to be the convener in in back in our country um, of National Bank uh, for for a very big union in Spain. Um, so I kind of like grew up in that radicalization. Um, but um, when I joined um, some mangoes and I got to see the union during my central induction. Um, the union came, they introduced themselves and I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to join the union because I know that if we are higher in numbers, we can make better demands to uh, our employers and we can assure that we are not going to be exploited. Um, a lot of people think like, oh, we have a lot of rights. We don't need unions anymore. And it's just like, it's because of unions that we have a lot of rights. Um, you, you need to understand that you're not working the whole week, the whole seven days because you have a reunion. You need to understand that you're not working 16 hours a day because you have the unions. You have rights, but we have not conquered every single right. And we we need to still keep fighting for getting better pay, for getting better rights. Um, a four day week, why we have to work for like seven days or five days a week? Um, we, we don't need that uh, amount of productivity. Like um, in May, we had three bank holidays. And as far as I know, the country didn't go down in pieces. So um, like we, we should be working for um, living our lives without pain. And, and that is what makes me keep being part of the union, keep myself uh, radical. That's that's a such way. a good that's such a good point because you know yeah the, there is so much opposition to this four day working week but you're right you know when there's when there's a made up man with a made up title being put a crown of stolen jewels from all over the world uh, you know on his head then that's fine we can have a four day week then um, and that's fine as long as he has got his crown being put on his head um, but not any other time it's so absurd and as well you know like we were talking before about working from home like there is so there is so much work that can be done working from home you know this is something that we saw during lockdown 
Um, and it, it, that is so good for people as well. Like mentally, um, I was doing a work from home job during lockdown and I can't tell you, like I'd always said to myself, uh, you know, when I became self-employed doing like content creation and stuff like that, I always said to myself, I'm never going to go back to a desk job, but you know, working from home as a desk job, not, not so bad. You know, it's not so bad. It's, it's, it's a lot easier. It's a lot more, uh, you know, uh, uh enjoyable and, and, and bearable with because, you know, they're not going to start paying us for the time that we spend commuting to our work. Do you know what I mean? So uh, why should we fucking commute to work? Um, but yeah, I think that I think that's really good. Kira, did you have something that you wanted to ask before um, I went back to my original? Um, uh, kind of, I know. Yeah, so I, I know that um, Harvey touched on this for a moment and I, I, um, I kind of touched it kind of deals with one of the questions that one of the our audience members submitted, which was um, from Shafiq. Uh, Shafiq says, I'm not sure if this has been covered and I missed it, but St. Mongo's is a charity. How is it funded? Are we looking at donations and bequests or is there government funding for providing services? Yeah, so um, a lot of our funding comes from government. So, um, so for example, the GLA or different councils, they have their homelessness strategy and they put to tender projects so we do write our bid we submit it and if we are successful we get that contract and we deliver um so that's how we are getting funded as well as for fundraising which is about like 20 percent correct me if i'm wrong uh there harvey i think it's 20 percent of our um um cash our cash flow um, comes from fundraising, um, but the rest is usually, so for example, in the project that I work um, is funded by the Ministry of Justice and we work together with probation um, and, and that's how it funds. Like my project, for example, is it just funds basically the frontline and um, the team leaders and service manager and that's what it covers. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any extras or there is no savings. This is a very tight thing that has been, um, look, um, I mean, not not every single uh, head or regional head is, is, is just, you know, greedy. Um, so for example, in my um, department, um, all the front lines are specialists um, because they, they just don't want to have entry level people that are poorly paid. Um, they are going to go into the prison, so they want to show appreciation by um, um, doing the job evaluation to specialist roles instead of like um, just a, a duty worker or a, a project worker. They, they are specialists and they are considered specialists. Um, but that is not the case for every single um, service. There are services where there are people that are more junior to specialist where they should be a specialist mm -hmm. so yeah because it gets a lot of uh your majority of funding from sort of yeah gla or like the greater london authority or like council contracts i think one thing that we um you know one thing that's um that's quite clear is that kind of race to the bottom in sort of council contracts so it's sort of obviously um you know it, it seems to comes against sort of other organizations and you know we're we're again sort of quite you know, we, we've got um, a relatively sort of like strong kind of like, you know, unionized workforce compared to other charities like sort of in the sector like Think Ahead uh, and other charities where, um, you know, where the pay might be worse, the, you know, where there's, um, you know, um, uh, where, you know, sort of the 
the working conditions will be worse, uh, will be worse because they don't have as unionized a workforce. And you, you get you definitely get sort of this competition where sort of other charities will try to undercut and just sort of end up sort of just you know sort of um, short staffing services, you know, paying them, uh, you know, um, and taking it basically sort of out their pay. So I think there's there's definitely sort of um, you know bigger kind of culprits as well. And sort of you know I think it is just a it's a problem sort of in the, the charity sector, I guess, where you know particularly I guess where you know councils are sort of offering uh, will sort of take the kind of the lowest funding, you know. Um, uh, in part sort of driven by austerity um, uh, but you get yeah these sort of like yeah it just becomes a real a real race to the bottom I guess and it's yeah Wicked um, in terms of um, support um, we have had uh, a couple of people question as to where we can donate to the strike fund um, and we've had some people send us over a just giving page. Is that the there's like is that the right one? I just want to like make sure that it's correct. It's um, yes. So we yeah. have the just giving page. Um, if if you look for it, um, we have a little bit of um, a background of what's what we're asking and and where it's coming is that from. The, is that the best way that we can support you? Like, what are how can we support you in this strike? Well, donating for the hardship fund was is one of the things, but you can come to Picket Lines, you can follow us in our Twitter account, um, you can um, come show solidarity, you can email our CEO and tell her that what she's doing is not right. Um, <laughs> you can write to your MPs as well um, and ask them to put pressure on the executive um yeah yeah Harvey. yeah no i think that yeah it's just it we've got uh we've got like the i mean the, the fundraising page you know um contributes our hardship fund makes a massive difference obviously and then we've got um hopefully next week we'll we'll have we're trying to set up a um a letter uh on sort of megaphone um where you know people be able to sort of send that letter um to uh emma dad our ceo basically sort of demanding um that you know she she comes sort of the table with us um and and also you know just sort of emailing your counselors as well um so if you know there's sort of obviously a St. Mungo service in um in uh where you live um you know sort of makes a massive difference just to sort of get a bit of coverage and sort of yeah just sort of um uh just sort of bit of, a bit of pressure um on sort of the organization to, to come to the table but I think yeah obviously the hardship funds are you know um is is really helpful uh yeah um, um oh sorry go. oh no I was just gonna say uh, a little funny story because I was late um to the show today i had some trouble with trains um and i thought that we were going to be speaking to staff from saint mungo's about the the homeless crisis so i actually tagged them um in in the tweet that i did that was quote tweeting i said we're talking to saint mungo's about the homeless crisis but obviously since then i've i've quote tweeted it and added them again and said oh actually we're talking about striking service workers so what are you doing pay them more you losers so you could do that as well if you like that's probably not going to be that successful but um yeah i did my part basically chat what are you doing uh, no but i think there, there's some really good bits of homework there um uh, but yeah you were saying harvey sorry go on oh no i was, I was gonna um yeah, i think that's kind of an interesting point because i guess yeah i suppose i suppose we've sort of like mentioned it. i mean the, the two are like really linked i guess right as well like we've had um just where you know uh home you know where you know the the, the government um uh you know where just like serves been completely cut to the bone uh, um, homelessness has increased, you know, and uh, it just sort of means that you get, um, you know, sort of um, 
people uh, who aren't afford, like aren't able to sort of afford their bills, can't sort of be less sort of affordable housing, end up sort of on the streets, um, and you know it ends up sort of obviously obviously um, you know you end up with, with uh, services that are already cut to the bone, sort of facing more pressure and putting that that pressure becoming on sort of you know frontline workers. Like recently, we had um, a um, uh, our service in Brighton um, was uh, it's called uh, No Second Night Out, a uh, really important service. Um, and it was kind of a clear example where you get that kind of cascading effect to where central government cut funding um, to um, you know, Brighton uh, and Hove City Council to fund the service, and Brighton Hove sort of passed that on onto the service, um, and then Mungo's refused to finance it. So you end up with you know, the service users there, some of them facing homelessness again, and obviously staff being made redundant. And so you know, these sort of cuts are just sort of, you know, they're so yeah, sort of intimately linked, I guess, just where you get, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, where yeah, service users are um, are, are impacted by by these cuts, um, and then you know, obviously staff staff as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I did wanna I did wanna mention because obviously being an activist with Great Manchester Tenants Union, like what we do is inherently linked with the kind of work that St Mungo's uh, and Shelter do. You know, we were supporting Shelter on the picket lines, um, you know, not just for general solidarity, but, you know, for that reason. Um, and um, it is it is just kind of one of those where it's like, you know, if you understand anything about the UK well, not even the UK, just like the whole world right now. Like, you know, I think it's short-sighted to say this is just a UK issue. Um, but worldwide right now, the inflation and, and, and uh, you know, demand uh, on working class people to pay more for their existence, to pay more rent, to pay more for groceries, to pay more for... Um, and, wor and work harder to try and get that, you know. It's, 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 it's so, like, it's, it's so incredibly, like, frustrating to see a homeless charity, charity having to go on strike because we know as a tenants union that our work can only go as far as like eviction resistance. When someone is then evicted, they are at the mercy of charities like St. Mungo's or the council and the council are fucking shite. You know, we've had, we've had members uh, who've been evicted and the police and the, you know, social housing providers have said like, oh, don't worry, they're on the housing list, they're on the, they're on the homeless list, uh, the, the council know about them. And we phoned the council and they don't know who these people are. Um, and, you know, it's just it's tale after tale of like the, the similar things happening. Um, you know, and, and the CEOs of St. Mungo's should not be able to sleep at night because of that. You know, like if... if <laughs> But again, you know, they don't live in the same reality as us. They don't even live in the same reality as the people who are working for them um, in terms of that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, if, if, there are, if there are any kind of um, people who are, you know, in, in, in Brighton or, or in, in the Southwest or in, uh, in London, because I think these strikes are going on all over the South, aren't they? St. Mungo's is like a more of a Southern thing. I don't know if they're here in Manchester, actually. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just the southern thing, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So yeah. if so, if you are like you know based around London, Brighton, um, and anywhere where Saint Mungo's is operating, you know, check to see if there's a strike. Support them on the picket line if you've got time, if you've got chance. Um, you know, donate to the strike fund uh, and all the other things that Harvey and Andrea have said. Like you know, write a letter to your councillor, write a letter to your MP. Um, you know, MP, like, you know, we talk here a lot on Red Planet about like her electoral politics is a waste of time, yada, yada, yada. But 
you know, some MPs are listening and they have a degree of power. Some councillors are listening and they have a degree of power. You have to weigh up who is listening and who is likely to listen. Um, and even if they're not likely to listen, is flooding their email inbox going to annoy them enough to actually bring it up in Parliament, even if it's in a negative way? And will that you know, start a discussion? Will that start something happening as a result of that? You know, some actions may feel um, pointless, but, you know, if you try something enough, something will stick to the wall, essentially, is what I would probably say about that. Yeah, I think we've got, and yeah, it's been really nice to get some support from like uh, certain councillors and certain MPs as well. So I guess, I guess there's sort of like immediate term actions that would really, you know, that, that would, uh, that would help. I guess longer term as well. I know you sort of, yeah, you mentioned about the rent union as well. I think, Definitely. I mean, uh, and just a um, uh, mention as well, we've had uh, really, it's been really nice to get support from uh, particularly like Acorn Haringey as well. We've been doing like bucket collections for us um, uh, and as well. And it's a really sort of nice demonstration of solidarity. But I think in the long term, you know, one way of sort of, um, uh, you know, just uh, definitely yeah, join, obviously, yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, the message would be, uh, don't just join your trade union, obviously, but join our community union as well, like Acorn or, you know, London Rents Union are good as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're sort of, um, you know, like it's it's part of, I suppose, yeah, the, the same sort of, um, uh, the same kind of fight as well. And I think, yeah, it's been really great to sort of see the solidarity from, uh, from yeah, Acorn and sort of like the picket lines and sort of just getting sort of money for the hardship fund. Um, but, you know, it's by joining your yeah, community union, I suppose you can sort of stop, you know, like those immediate actions are really important, right? Sort of stopping evictions, you know, putting pressure on the council to, to house people, um, uh, you know, to um, uh, particularly those the most like, priority needs. So, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, super important as well. Mm-hmm. I did also, I think we should just ask the, the rest of the audience mm-hmm. questions anyway, because we're at mm-hmm. that time anyway, aren't yeah. we? Um, so we will ask, uh, Shafiq had an initial question and they said, um, my question, uh, what proportion, if any, of upper management you're going to like this question, have experience of doing your jobs of working directly with service users? Um, we, we don't know the numbers. Uh, I would say that um, um, not many and um, the ones that have, it's been very long time ago. Um, I, I would say that like, I think one of the mistakes that our board of trustees made was to um not give the position to um the person that was named interim ceo um of the company because um she was a person that had been frontline worker she was a person that was from the bottom to the top working through the years and there was a person that frontline had an empathy with um bringing in someone that has not experienced um in the homelessness sector that has always worked for the government that has worked with the home office um during the Rwanda deportations doesn't bring much empathy to the workforce or any confidence um at all when the home office department that she was working at was under special measures so, yeah. so hang on. Have you mentioned this previously? Have I just missed that she works for the home? She worked for the Home Office. Uh probably we forgot to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh my God! Well, you know our audience at home she, will know what kind of person was. She was. 
yeah, she was the director of the Asylum, Se uh, Asylum Seekers and Refugees Department. Uh, and she did uh, implement uh, Suela's and Preeti Patel um, policy of the Rwanda deportations. So what we're, what we're talking about here is potentially, so this is someone who is, you know, they've worked with the government in, I guess, a civil servant capacity for the home office. Um, and again, um, you know, is, is now, uh, well, a policy advisor, you know, a policy advisor, someone who advised the Tory government <laughs> on immigration and asylum. Um, you know, and so you know what, right? Yeah, you know what kind of you know what kind of person this is already, and um, what we're talking about here is is that person is now the head of a homeless charity. So, like, you know, what kind of empathy does she have for homeless people in this country? And again, you know, this is sort of we're 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 seeing so much of this where there are like ex government, ex Tory government. Um, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's policy advisors, whether, whether it's civil servants, whether it's, uh, counselors, elected officials, um, you know, in positions of power in NGOs, for example, in, um, you know, regulatory, uh, boards and stuff like that. So it, it, again, like, you know, this is, this is extremely fucked. Wow. That's absolutely absurd. Thanks for telling us that. Um, yeah, it's particularly yeah. sort of uh, shocking because, uh, I mean, you know, it was reportedly as well, um, Emma Dadasio was on like 130k uh, when, when she was in post uh, in this sort of uh, senior role uh, in the civil service of, um, you know, enforcing a lot of, um, a lot of like, um, you know, uh, anti-immigrant sort of draconian sort of legislation, you know, sort of in post during like Manson Barracks, you know, uh, Napier um, and, you um, and she, yeah, she's gone from 130k to 180k uh, sort of in this role as well. So I think that the fact is, you know, sort of seeing this as, an, you know, it, it, you might, you know, it, maybe if she was taking a pay cut, you might think, oh, actually, maybe I've sort of gone, I want to do something sort of good. I want to go and work for homelessness charity. But the fact is she's she's not even taking a pay cut as well. And, and, and Mungus has a really uh, pretty bad history with sort of working with cooperating the Home Office as well, though. A few years ago, they were found to act unlawfully with the Home Office for facilitating deportations um, and going out with outreach teams with enforcement officers um, and um, uh, and effectively sort of, yeah, cooperating with sort of enforcement officers um, uh, over, um, you know, information over, you know, vulnerable migrant rough sleepers, uh, which, you know, some of whom ended up being deported. And so they were found to have acted lawfully, you know, Unite um, uh, as well sort of helped to bring uh, a case uh, against them with, I can't remember, it was the Public Information Law Centre, and they were found to have sort of, uh, acted unlawfully and they had to sort of issue kind of an apology about that but yeah so it's really I mean that, that basically that basically was uh brought up by the um convener from the union back then uh, back in 2016 we were saying that we're hearing the reports that um outreach workers are actually forced to work with this these people to to go through deportations and um they uh, solidly deny it um, then a report came um, up, and actually, it was it, it, it was literally said all along that yeah, it, it was true what the union was saying. Um, 
the director that was in uh, in charge of of um, that outreach team or the outreach teams is still in post. <laughs> so that there has been no consequences, obviously, for wow. for that director. Um, the the um, the um, CEO left, um, that CEO at the time left. Uh, we don't know whether he left because um, he was told like, you, you messed up or just just in case they were going to ship him out. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, when when the, she came, when 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 Emma Haddad came to to some mangoes, we did have uh, we have like some mangoes um, owners diversity by having like loads of networks in terms of diversity that are those diversity networks are part of um, the core of some mangoes and is the core of our um, employees. And uh, we had a meeting with her. Um, all the BAME community and the BAME network with her. And she, all she was saying was like, well, I've, I've worked for, for um, I've been a civil servant network for governments under labor and under um, Tories. And, and I have had to do and implement uh, policies that I might not have been in agreement with. And I, all I tried to do was to make sure that those families were, um, looking after and it's just like sorry but sending them to Rwanda to like blocks and 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 treating them like if they were in concentration camps and and actually getting to know that those those deportations are being classed by um Europe um as inhumane uh how on earth you can actually say and and play the victim saying that all i was trying to do it was a, a good job sorry i didn't know that you had suela braverman or pretty patel putting a gun on your face saying if you don't do it you're going to die if you are not in agreement with the policy if you're not in agreement with something that your uh, government is actually asking you to do you can leave your job yeah and keep your morals. But that, to me, that only shows that there is no moral compass for that person because it's, there is no spine, there is no bond, there is there is nothing. It's just like, they tell me to do this and I'm going to do it. And if someone calls me up on that, I will play the victim. That's that's all I can say about that. Nobody, nobody was forcing her to do the job. She was getting 130K a year for doing that, for putting people that were... Um, fleeing violence, fleeing war into concentration camps. How you live with that? I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so horrible. Sorry, go on, Harvey. I know. Yeah, I, was, I think it's yeah. It's kind of boring every time we sort of pressed her on this as well. We've always kind of got you know uh, she's turned it into a personal issue as well. We've just sort of brought up concerns about uh, you know why this uh, you know why why we don't think this is uh, this is good and it's not obviously a great image for a charity and uh, she's trying to sort of turn it into a personal issue and sort of try to fend it off and kind of act, you know kind of pretend it's a, a personal attack uh, on her um so yeah i think that's you know um as opposed to sort of engaging with some of those concerns of being like okay look i recognize um you know maybe it doesn't look like a good history guys but um you know that's not me anymore <laughs> so it's been yeah i don't know it's um which has been interesting uh, I, I think and just to kind of go back to the point earlier so if, if um if I it, it was just on on all your question about um sort of like uh, radicalization as well i guess I, I think that was one thing as well that perhaps sort of really radicalized me sort of, you know, um, that can be a radicalizing experience, not uh, in in the sense of you have, you know, these incredibly sort of like, you know, passionate, empathetic people working, uh, uh, you know, who work alongside with, 
you know, for years put up with these kind of injustices, um, you know, whether it's to do about pay, terms, conditions, you know, anti-racist sort of issues as well, like sort of, you know, muggers complicity about the Home Office. Um, and how you, you you have that year after year, but then you have this incredible resistance by staff as well, and sort of how they haven't been afraid to sort of go on strike in 2014, on 2019, and they haven't been afraid to raise these issues uh, and collectively sort of, you know, sort of push back against them when they do happen. So I think that in itself is quite a radicalising experience. So you do have, you know, um, you can have those injustices, you can have, um, you know, uh, yeah, um, uh, you know, um, you sort of can have that year after year, but you just have this, yeah, extraordinary sort of collective resistance, which I think, yeah, can be quite, quite radicalizing. Mm-hmm. Sort of, yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, well, that was um, a whole a whole bombshell. Um, we have one final question. Oh no, sorry, we have two two final questions. Um, so, Awesome Ogreeb, she says, have the Saint Mungo senior management tried to control the narrative and optics by doing anything like offering a concession, but framing it like it was their own idea? And then being so generous, I feel like you've already spoke about this about the two point five percent raise. But is is there anything else alongside that that they've done? So what they said initially, so um, they offered like the, the initial was a, a one off payment. Then um, they came up with like a million for the whole workforce, which worked out at two point twenty five percent. And what they are now saying is, oh, but what we were offering them was almost a ten percent rise because what they were doing is that our salaries are linked to the uh, civil servants um, and council workers uh, pay scales and they get negotiated by the three biggest unions in um, the civil servant um, workforce. So um, basically what they were doing was to add this uh, 2021 pay claim that we have put with the this year pay claim add it together and say oh it's a 10 percent what you actually try and it's just like sorry you're not you're you're trying to mislead people by thinking that you're offering us a 10 percent and you're not doing that you're you're just um uh, using what is coming which is not being agreed by the three biggest unions because most of them have rejected it and adding it to something that you're still not answering for we're talking about the 2021-22 pay claim, not 2023-24 pay claim. Um, so they are constantly saying, and like you you would read um, online on articles how Emma has said um, what we were offering was almost 10%. Even, even that is not realistic. Even if they did add that, it's not real because um, how they did put it was um, 225% for the lowest pay scales. But those who are in the middle um, management or like junior management would get around like 1% and the the new pay claim. So it's not even a 10% for the whole workforce, which is what we are asking. It's it's just for some of them, there would be a 10%, probably around like, what, 100 people. Oh my God. It's more of this divide and conquer. I think they're thinking that y'all are going to say, well, let's some of us, that's good enough. And then it's just not going to be all the workers. You know, it's kind of a, a tactic to, to shatter solidarity between workers. And, and also like, um, they came with this one off one one off payment of seven hundred pounds, which we didn't agree with. And then they said, like, we are going to give it anyway as a help to the cost of living. 
but they didn't give it to the whole workforce. They only gave them to those who were under um, certain pay scale. So they kind of like made up that those who are like managers, like middle managers or team leaders are not actually getting a, a bite of the cost of living. It's just like, sorry, but those who are in sick figure uh, uh, salaries, yes, they are not actually, they, as I said before, they cannot find their organic X, but they can actually pay their bills. And managers are also facing a, a lot of um, uh, hardship. And um, we've seen a lot of it. Uh, yeah, that kind of line of uh, our CEO is basically saying that, you know, we've actually got 10%. So why are we still on strike? It's been kind of just kind of repeated across like, a lot of different uh, articles and and it's it's a bit frustrating sometimes when it's not really even questioned or interrogated you just sort of see it reported in like kind of a mainstream outlet and uh, as if they're kind of both siding sort of like saying well the union says this but city management says this and there's not really much of an interrogation and I think yeah, it's a little <laughs> a little frustrating but then I think my, my favorite thing is yeah definitely seeing senior management going back to the question I just sort of like I guess claim a lot of the stuff that you know, um, that workers, you know, Unite members push for, you know, where where it was even like a one-off payment, even though no poultry, it was always at times when there was a bit more pressure put on whether we'd be balloting or whether we'd, you know, um, it, like there's there's always at times a sort of, I guess, a bit of uh, whether be the pressure would be ramped up a bit, you know, um, where they'd all of a sudden come up with a new offer and be like, well, look, we've, we've decided to, to give you this guys just out of our own accord, out of, you know, out of nowhere. And so, Always like my favorite thing, just even just claim a, a union kind of you know a union sort of win, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I I think that is funny how like the narrative is always we don't have the money, we don't have the money, and lastminute.com is like, oh, we found in the this this little box a million pounds, um, and it's, it's just like you know there you you have the money, you just you just using it for something else, which is you know probably making a swimming pool or something for yourself obviously um they've recently realized that i think it's so transparent that their lies um that they've disabled the comments on our kind of intranet so they're like on the q a's people used to be able to put comments underneath them i think they were getting so much pushback uh <laughs> they disabled just the comments so they could just yeah, effectively, you know, just pretend that there's no, um, <laughs> that, that what they say is, is, is gospel and, you know, that, you know, that nobody has any, any problems with what they're saying. But yeah. And, and I would say that almost like every time that they, mainly Emma, when she's been challenged, she's been playing that victim of like, oh, you're calling me um, dishonest. And he's like, no, we're telling you that you're misleading people and that we want honesty. We're not saying that you're a liar. But like you are actually trying to mislead people by saying what you're saying. So just be clear, just be transparent, be accountable of your actions. Um, it's the same as me. If I don't do my job, I, I would have to face consequences. Your job is to be accountable for what you do for your for your employees. That's your job. It's, it's like I remember one CEO that I met that was saying my job is just like, you know, like after everything gets done, I put in order everything and I am accountable that everything is in order. So literally you're not listening to your employees when they're actually telling you we are not happy with how you're actually making us work. You're not getting it. You cannot say like, 
yeah, I've been thinking and I realized that that is important for you, that pay is something that is important for you. Sorry, like we have a very big heart, but we have to have a living and a living wage. A big reason they do that is because they don't ever, they never want to give the impression that what y'all are doing actually is effective. If it turns they you're y'all are organizing and striking and they're going to paint it as like this is a bunch of troublemakers, this is a bunch of greedy people, this is a bunch of so and so forth. But they are being pressured into having to do something. So when they do something, they can't give the impression that what you did actually was effective because then you're going to do it again. And this is like a huge thing that the ruling class does is that they try to thwart even the tiniest, the tiniest of wins. Like you're asking for such a small amount, even the tiniest of wins. If it's a, if it's evidence that the working class can actually just look to each other and just come together and actually put pressure on the ruling class because we have the numbers, we are the workers Nothing happens without us, right? Plenty of things happen without senior management. <laughs> Plenty. In fact, better things usually. Um, but the, there's nothing can happen without the workers. And so when workers come together and actually like pressure that change and that because that pressure is real and it's effective, then the ruling class has to pretend they just made they decided to be really good people on their own because they can't show that what you did is actually effective. Um, and we're we're seeing another just you're describing an example of this perfectly. Um, <clears throat> we should move on to the final question because we're running out of time. Um, but the final question comes from Narlon Starfire, um, and they say. How typical is the management's behavior in regards to the wider charity sector? And I think we touched on this a little bit because we I spoke very briefly about the shelter strikes. Uh, but if you two want to um, expand on that, that'd be cool. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, uh, so, like, I think obviously it seems that there's other, like shelter had um, exactly the same. It, it's interesting sort of the parallels between like the shelter strike and St. Mungo strike. They had the same issues over... You know, obviously, year-on-year rule terms pay cuts. Um, uh, they had uh, the same arguments from, from their senior management, basically arguing that the money isn't there, uh, and the same kind of discrepancy between what senior management was saying um, and um, what was publicly available in their in their financial accounts, which showed actually they had you know um, far healthier the reserves than they were letting on. And so you, you have the same sort of like tactics that I, I guess sort of a lot of charities use um, of sort of being like, oh, we, we're just a charity, we don't have the money, and then obviously that. Yeah, that kind of like um, that weaponization of sort of people's just sort of goodwill, I guess, um, and you know, uh, just people being passionate about their jobs to sort of try and um, you know persuade them not to go on strike. So I think there's definitely interesting sort of parallels between shelter strike and uh, and St. Mungo's. But, but I think yeah, there's been strikes. Um, uh, so yeah, I think there's there's um, uh, in terms of like you had uh, like you had um, so you, you have sort of other organisations in in sort of like certainly like housing as well, uh, like. I think it's the, the regulator of social housing, if I'm not wrong, uh, a balloting as well. Um, uh, and so, you know, I think there's, you know, we're getting we're getting people on the picket line from other um, organisations like um, like SHP, the Single Homeless Project, who we work quite closely with, um, uh, you know, um, uh, and, you know, sort of workers from there sort of uh, kind of like encouraged by the strike action we're taking, um, uh, you know, maybe where their union isn't as strong. Uh, and, you know, so well, I think it's, you know, Again, we all sort of face the same issues uh, of like our, you know, charities sort of running down workers, um, you know, ballooning management and also race to the bottom, you know, sort of trying to, you know, sort of just get council contracts. And so, so yeah, I think there's a really, you know, um, uh, it, yeah, there's, 
I think there's uh, a lot of like, understanding when you get someone on the picket line, yeah, from another organization, you kind of understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Phenomenal. That's all the chatter question or our audience questions. Um, the last thing that we ask of you is we like to assign our audience homework and they enjoy it. To be clear, it's not just us inflicting this on them. They enjoy it. These and are nerds. like action. They are. These are like actionable tasks that um, our audience can take. I'm thinking, I don't know if you have any ideas, but um, if you need suggestions, like maybe some of what we were talking about earlier about what they can do to help support you. So um, is there any specific homework you would like to assign our our audience that can go out and do it and actually get their hands on uh, on something here? So I would say like, um, you know, if if you have any local picket, come round, say hello to us. Uh, you know, um, ask us for a format to write to your MP, um, to email Emma, um, to put pressure, pressure. Um, follow us on Twitter, give us retweets and much uh, visibility as you can. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, support our strike fund, um, hardship fund, mm-hmm. um, because um, for that, it, it will be just supporting our colleagues who will be facing um a lot of hardship um yeah. um after a month of um, not getting paid um yeah. so and where can we yeah. find you on twitter um so we are at sm unite um and um if we have um well Harvey knows better than me um uh, our um hashtag um i think it's some mangoes mega strike um that, that was a, a hashtag i tried to start off but didn't 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 go far <laughs> but um but definitely follow us on twitter um uh, yeah a, a, a sm you know um uh, and um yeah we'll, we'll have like up to date pickets and rallies there um, and we usually regularly post out the just giving link uh, and we've also got a um a strike solidarity uh, social this friday at pelican house in bethnal green um so um we'll put that on twitter as well um awesome. uh, so yeah if you want to come um it's just yeah sort of chance to uh, come on like um you know so yeah uh, bring friends family um yeah chance to um just yeah meet others um and um, yeah, it's obviously free for striking workers or those in low incomes. And then we have sort of a standard rate and a solidarity rate, which you, you can either pre-book tickets or you can sort of just sort of donate on the door if you want. Um, but yeah, so so we've got yeah, our solidarity event, but like Andrea says, I guess, other than the hardship fund, yeah, always sort of nice to have people down at the picket. Um, you know, we have some great chats and yeah, sort of come down and you know, feel free to come along to our rallies as well. It's sort of always nice to- yeah, Awesome. And I'd say like um, strikers are there from 7.30 in the morning, so, coffees are actually <laughs> welcome to oh, that would be blinds so yeah yeah so if anyone's in the area want to stop by and drop off some coffee maybe uh you know say some positive words of affirmation that'd be that'd be awesome coffee and yeah coffee would be great any, coffee any and snack, nice words um, yeah coffee nice yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe biscuits or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> Awesome. And is there any other uh, sites or uh, anything you'd like to shout out now that we have a, a moment and we got people watching? Uh, I think shout out to yeah, Acon Harringay have been great. Uh, like I said, they've been uh, sort of like helping us do like bucket collections and stuff like that. Been really cool. Um, and yeah, just any organisation, I guess. Any uh, there's so many of them. I know uh, Andrew mentioned a few who've just sort of already donated the hardship fund. It's been amazing. Sort of the the show of solidarity. Really, uh, really appreciated it. Um, and um, yeah, and you know, hoping sort of turn as well to sort of show our, our solidarity in return as well. So, um, but yeah, in terms of sites, um, uh, yeah, I guess sort of 
Um, yes, or find us on Twitter. Um, uh, uh, join your community union uh, and, and join your trade union, obviously, uh, you know, in your workplace. But, um, but yeah, in terms of like the, the megaphone stuff, like the petitions, we'll have that on our Twitter as well. So just, yeah, if you, you join that, that's where it's all going to be, I guess. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Massive solidarity with the strike. I hope you do amazing. And uh, I believe that you will win. I believe that you will get your pay rise, whether it's it's the end of this strike period or the end of the next one. You will get it. Thanks, so. Thank you. No worries. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Nice to meet you. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Um, <clears throat> well, an absolutely fantastic episode as per usual. If, if uh, I don't say so myself, which I do say so myself, that sentence made no sense, but here mm-hmm. we are. Uh, it's that time of the show where we plug everything that we do. You should go and check us out at patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet. Support us there. Thank you for supporting us. You give Conrad food literally every stream. We're looking for more money so that we could get an editor, so that we could attract more people to the show, so that we could show uh, all the people all over the world just how based and awesome you could be if you help us seize the means of communication. <laughs> um, and yeah, just imagine that. But before we go, we got some extra special uh, links to shout out because uh, Kira, everybody wants to know, where can we find you? Where can we find you? Where can we get more Kira? Oh, that's a great question. Many people are asking. Twitch.tv slash Kira Chats is what I mainly do. Uh, you can also find my Not Safe for Work links, Winky Face, Winky Face, and my link tree. My link tree is uh, link, linktra.ee slash Kira Chats. So just type link tree Kira Chats in Google. I'm sure it'll pop up too. Uh, all my stuff's there. Um, also, my Discord. I'm a Discord goblin these days. You know, I'm on Twitter somewhat, but like I'm mainly a Discord goblin. She like, loves Discord. I love she Discord. It. It's disgusting though. Like I spend way too much time there. I need to get a life, like legit, legitimately. But until then, uh, discord.gg slash Kira Chats. We, we watch movies there all the time. We have fun times as fun time Discord people have. You know, I, I see you, you know. know I have life. You can see how I have, do have friends actually. <laughs> but speaking of friends, Mule. Where can I find me. more of you? You. It's me. And you can find me at linktra.ee forward slash DJ M-U-E-L, which is how you spell it for anyone listening who may not know. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find all my stuff. The most important one is Patreon. Uh, head over there. Um, I'm actually starting a new Patreon uh, series. So this is only for my patrons uh, where I'm going to talk about um, what movies I've watched each month because I watch an absurd, disturbing, saddening, uh, sick amount of movies every month because i love movies i think they're great um even if they're terrible and i'm going to be talking about all the movies that i've watched in a month every month over on my patreon so you could go and check out the first episode of that which will be coming uh in a week or a couple of weeks time um where i talk about all the movies that i watched in may including the amazing please baby please um and the not so amazing the whale um so yeah you can hear my thoughts about that stuff over there on my patreon uh you can also check me out at twitch.tv forward slash dj mule uh spelled exactly the same and that is um over um uh, sorry this week i'll be doing that uh a lot 
That's it. I've, I've fucked up that sentence, but I'm going to be doing streaming a lot this week. I've, been, I've had a break from streaming. Anyway, our comrades that are not here, we're going to shout them out too because they're amazing and you mm-hmm. should go and support them. Please, please, please go and support our sweet, lovely Sophie from Mars. It's linktra.ee forward slash Sophie from Mars. Um, and a lot of the places you can get her um, all one word spelled exactly as you think it would be Sophie from Mars. Uh, but on some, including Twitter and Twitch, it's Sophie underscore FRM underscore Mars. So please go support our sweet Sophie and our wonderful Tim. Tim is it? Um, I th- does he have a link? I think Tim does have a link tree. Link linktree.ee forward slash dread conquest. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was right. I was right. Uh, and he streams at twitch.tv forward slash conquest of dread and twitter.com. He is at dread conquest. So please go and support our lovely Tim. Don't forget his YouTube channel where he does amazing YouTube videos as well. And yeah, that's it. Thanks for being here. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.